we we just broke a record, man. <laughs> it seems to be that way, doesn't it? We, we, keep we are record. getting into these conversations and <laughs> dude, almost two hours. And then an hour and another hour plus afterwards. Like right. and, and just full go, like a uh, beautiful conversation with Paul Golf. Paul uh, Golf. Who it's a, and we never a, even talked about the fact that you guys are both authors in the book. Uh, free, free to, to give. give free to give yeah. we never even talked about it so i'm glad we brought it up now <laughs> literally sorry robin smith we should have talked about it <laughs> literally as we were hanging up we were like we never even got to that yeah which was our our common connection but man so many it's it's past time that we had him on we've been hearing his name for for so long um i mean if you want a definition of fire hose this was it i mean there was one point where i was laughing like holy spirit was starting like like I, I almost tears, uh, just enjoying mm -hmm. uh, the revelation that was coming off of him. Well, and I mentioned to him in this conversation, I, I had the experience of the road to Emmaus, and my my did not my heart burn within me. Paul is a guy who will get your heart burning, yeah, fresh for yeah. creative ways to deliver Jesus and to manifest and and reveal Jesus. Uh, right where you're at in, yeah. in, in your community, in your job, in your family. Um, he's, he's a big dreamer yeah. and he's full of hope, full of and, hope. Yeah. And the hope springs eternal. Just you'll hear it in this conversation. Yeah. It will yeah. mean something different to you after you listen to this podcast. We, we, um, he shares his story a little bit on the front end. Some of his rethinking moving from a, a penal substitutionary atonement fella street preacher to uh, full-on grace and and union uh and then we we we, took, we hit on some major subjects three of them was the, he talks about um, the deconstruction movement or the mass exodus from the christian institutional experiment uh, is what he re references it as and and then breaks that down um we talk about what mission looks like in the 21st century and then man we had a profound conversation around the supernatural signs mm -hmm. and wonders and the miraculous from the context of union and uh so much more but those were definitely some high points yeah so give yourself some time <laughs> definitely uh two hours to have <laughs> break out two hours to have a listen to this i know i know our tacos listeners will will uh, do that they'll enjoy it but make sure oh, you've man. got some time to sit and really digest it and and just remember that um you can join the facebook page uh keep the conversation going over there yeah. it's so healthy right now yeah. what's happening on the facebook page and then if you want to partner with a family story <laughs> i encourage to you to give to a family story go over to a familystory.org there's a giving function there and um your your partnering with a family story is helping us not only do this podcast but uh create a community that is yeah. vibrant healthy safe um where you can ask questions and have conversations around anything regarding the goodness of god jesus being perfect theology yeah. and uh, uh so many good voices on the facebook page right now yeah. speaking yeah. this aside from the people we have on the podcast yeah facebook page is rethinking god with tacos we also have an instagram where we're releasing reels and connecting with folks that way 
Um, River Charlotte is our home church. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you. Uh, Derek and Sarah pastor that. And we actually conversed about it some on the podcast with Paul, a, little, a whole lot afterwards about what the church looks like, how expansive it is, uh, how we're growing and discovering that. And so if you're in the area, if you're in the Charlotte area, we'd love to see you Saturday nights. Uh, I said 630. Pod- Just go to rivercharlotte.com. And uh, you can learn more about us in the Charlotte yeah. area. But we would love to welcome you in to hang out and enjoy yeah. time together. Last thing, uh, also you can sign up on our mailing list, uh, familystory.org. Uh, same place that you can give there. So, man, I'm I'm excited about this one. And uh, I don't think two hours was long enough. People are going to, it's going to fly by because. <laughs> right. Uh, just uh, one conversation better after than the next, man. This is, I really like this guy, Paul. By the way, I do too. I do too. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be close buds. We had a little bit of a bromance going on at one point. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. All right, guys, you're gonna love this. Listen to this conversation with Paul Golf. Paul, it is. This is. It's about time that we had you on this call. We have some mutual friends over the, over the last couple of years, your name has come up uh, time and time again. I have a list of, of folks that uh, I wanted to get on the podcast. And most recently we had David Hewitt on and he's the guy that gave me your email address. Uh, and so here we are, man, we're sitting, uh, you're across the pond as they say over here. And um, it's so good to connect with you, meet face to face. Share a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, and and uh, your story, what you're doing right now. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, Derek, great to see you guys. Um, I love the show. <laughs> uh, yes, I've been, been aware of a, a lot of mutual friends. Um, so, yeah, really glad to be on here with you guys today. It's good, man. It's good to have you. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, you know, in your bio, you had been a part of the church in China. And I'm I'm just intrigued by that. I, I'm I am told you're fluent in Mandarin. Is this true? Yes, that's true. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, I need to talk to you about translating my book. Anyway, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no problem. We we can yeah we can get that done for you. <laughs> no, but uh, but I want to I want to hear about your experience with the church in China and maybe because w- one thing that Jason said was. We, we ask people, hey, who should we have on after we interview them? And your name has come up several times. And yeah. so I'm completely unfamiliar with you. I've done as much of a dive as I can, but I've been so looking forward to this. And I thought maybe we should start with your experience with the church in China. And that could lead into or, the uh, other things we want to talk about today. Or even uh, before you hit China, I just wanted, because I love this, you, you started, you're a recovering Pentecostal. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, with a Greek Orthodox affinity. I, 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 this was your bio that you sent as I was reading through it. I was like, I love that recovering Pentecostal, a street preacher, right? Uh, at one point preaching uh, 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 as street preachers do. But somehow along the journey, uh, you find yourself in China. Just walk us through uh, how, how you got there. Give us a little bit of your history. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, China does need a little bit of an on-ramp, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd had, um, I suppose if I sort of take it back to square one in many ways, um, I'd had a quite a dramatic conversion experience in my mid-teens um, in the UK in the sort of revivalist Pentecostal uh, kind of world. 
And I'd had a very real encounter with the Holy Spirit in that. And for me, it was such a dramatic turnaround from the direction my life was going. Um, And I would say that I also had a very real sense of calling to ministry uh, as well. So I kind of came out of that midway through high school, came out of that experience. And I think it it was quite a shock to a lot of people because I'd had such a dramatic turnaround in terms of my direction, my interest. And, and I just was, I would say full on, full on for Jesus, you know, (laughs) and uh, having this sort of revivalist thing and particularly with an end of the world bent as well, you know, thinking all the the rapture is about to happen. Right. So I just sort of leaned very hard into that, if I could put it that way. So I kind of preached to everyone. Um, I kept badgering the school, uh, (laughs) harassing the school to let me, speak to the whole school. And I remember having two teachers sort of sit there saying, we're not going to let you stand in front of the whole school and preach. And I said, well, but the world's about to end. It's going to be on your head. You know, if you don't let me get up and preach to the whole school, it's not on me, it's on you. And they just sat there and laughed. And I laughed too, because I said, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. You know, you are going to burn. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, um, I I went straight out, you know, the, the, the first week. I actually, I actually joined the church because my my girlfriend at the time started behaving uh, very strangely, um, you know, t- talking in other voices and, you know, doing the sort of exorcist type thing, apart from the head spinning around. I mean, maybe not 180 degrees, just just 180. Um, and uh, and so that's why I went to church, because a friend of mine said, well, if that's happening, you need to go to the church. So um, I went and joined a church and uh, and then was out that week, the same week, um, doing street evangelism. Yeah, and, as, as you uh, would. Yeah, as you would, as you would. And then it wasn't quite hardcore enough for me. So I kind of had met a friend through that. And we'd started going out just the two of us, we would take a PA system and go into the into the the, the city centre on a Saturday, um, when everyone was shopping, and we thought, well, they're not preaching hardcore enough, you know, there's not enough, right. there's not enough brimstone in this message, we need to go and amp it up a little. Can I, so, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please. What disciple are you most like? <laughs> what dis- <laughs> You're intense, man. I know, I know. Well, I, um, I think I'm, I think I'm a lot more mellow now. But at the same time, I don't, you know, I don't do small talk very well. This is something my wife and I have uh, had to reach a bit of a detente on. You know, I, I kind of, well, let's let's just get let's get to the interesting stuff. You know, um, that's awesome. But I would say that it was it was very intense. But I, I also, I mean, I did see God move. You know, we we had a a bit of a mini movement in the school of some. Some people got healed. It went around the whole school. Even teachers were coming and asking me about it. And so there was a bit of a mini movement. I, I got a nickname called the prophet in school. And then lots of rumors. <laughs> I was sacrificing chickens during the lunch break or doing some other kind of voodoo. Um, so it was it was all quite um, chaotic. But I I went I, to I Bible just, college with you, man. Sorry. I went to Bible college with You're you. Bible. <laughs> well, I didn't go to Bible college, which is interesting because I. I always thought, well, if I'm called to ministry, I'll do that. I love it. And I really, I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me so clearly and say, you are never going to do this. Like it was really strong and unexpected because I, I thought I would go. And it's it's a longer story than I think would be worth getting into now. But I really had, uh, I would say, just a, a a sense of sovereign call to go and study Chinese. Wow. Um, and I couldn't really explain to you really too much why except i just knew that i had to and uh, and i did hmm. and so um i did my i did my degree in chinese and went out to china as part of that and within a few days of being in in china i had met people from the underground 
church and was introduced so I was going to underground church meetings and um and I knew people Christians who had been out there for years who had never met anyone from the underground church you know they were right. westerners in the western church and it it really felt that this was kind of a a bit of a prologue for me for things that would happen later on um so I I I did that studied Chinese um came out of that having finished that degree um I I worked for a bit whilst getting into ministry and getting into pastoring as well um and then I went back to school did a, a master's program in conference interpreting and translation so I studied as a professional interpreter and translator with a UN link program and um mm -hmm. and that after that that brought me into contact with them um, uh, a, a China oriented ministry that was actually started by a guy called Brother Yun. And if you guys were ever interested in this, there was a book called The Heavenly Man um, that came out uh, about 20 years ago. But it was the biography of um, uh, a, a, this Chinese guy called Brother Yun who'd escaped yeah. from China on yeah. asylum. So he had started this ministry and um, I started working with them as, a, as an interpreter and, and ministry coordinator. So we would be resourcing the underground church in China. We would get guys coming out from China and do these ministry tours around uh, Europe and I'd interpret for them. So they'd get up and preach in Chinese and I'd be there uh, interpreting. Wow. Um, and somewhere along the uh, along the way, uh, the director of that ministry and myself, we said we'd, we'd really need to work on a book together. So we we co-authored a book called The Coming Chinese Church, which was um, uh, it was kind of trying to be the voice of the Chinese church to the West. You know, we interviewed people uh, across the whole of China and really tried to present a picture of where China was headed, something that was prophetic and future oriented, not just past oriented. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that, um, and yeah. I've always had this a sense of, um, uh, I think, a, 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 a sensitivity towards cross-cultural issues, and particularly as regards the, the gospel in a in a cross-cultural context as well. So I've always thought a bit like that, and you know, I've went went through on a, a long process myself, um, being in and out of pastoring and itinerant ministry. Um, in the sort of wacky end of the charismatic world and right. discovering um, discovering the goodness of God in ways that were first breaking my paradigms experientially and then later on I was okay I, I have to I have to have the I have to rediscover the theology that is able to interpret my experience so that's the way that I would put it uh, there were things I was experiencing that were off script it's like this right. is off the grid it's not supposed to be happening but it is. It, this is Jesus. I can't explain it, and I need I need to be able to get a sense of what what's wrong with our conceptualizations of who Christ is that um, that, that needs to be corrected. And uh, I mean, I say it like that, but it was it was quite a hardcore experience. I I, I like Paul Young's um, uh, saying on this. You know, uh, spiritual people. So, sorry, religious people have been to hell and spiritual, uh, sorry, re religious people talk about hell. Spiritual people have been there. Um, and <laughs> I definitely resonate with that. And I think that's one of those statements. You wow. can only understand it if you already know what it means. Wow. You can't yeah. really teach that to anybody. And and certainly that was that was my experience of, of kind of hitting, um, as a friend of mine once said, you know, you, you went so far down the rabbit hole, you ended up at the tea party with the Mad Hatter. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. It's what it felt like. <laughs> right. Discovered that Jesus was actually down there. Um, wow. Yeah. And then that kind of changed everything. And uh, and when I discovered 
a vision of the gospel that was able to interpret everything that had happened to me before, but also a lot more. You know, it's that definition of a, a, a superior model is one that can do everything that the old model did and also more. And, wow. and that was the Trinitarian vision for me. Um, and mm -hmm. when I caught that, I was, oh, this is, this is a, such a, a, a key yeah. for the whole of the Western church and the Western world and Western culture as well. Um, so uh, we, my wife and I, you know, we've, um, we really leaned very hard in ministry in that direction. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm covering a lot of ground and you asked me about China. So sorry, Derek, I kind of uh, truncated that a little no, no, that's um, great. That's great. I'm, I, I love what um, you're bringing. Yeah, this is uh, this is helpful. One quick question would just be like, in your experience, what 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 can the Western Church learn from, you know, the Chinese underground church, or just even your your own experience, which I definitely want to get into later, because I mean, I think there's a you know this mystical element that is so. Um, underappreciated but is coming more into focus of people having experience and then and then like bill johnson says and then they can then they make it legal later in scripture they find a scripture that corroborates it but and i've had those experiences myself i could articulate them but the 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 western eastern dichotomy maybe just kind of talk about that a little bit yeah i i think uh when well, we could go for hours um but i would say if i could maybe just go a thousand years ago, <laughs> there's a shift in the Western church that the, the Catholic Roman Catholic side towards scholasticism as a way of thinking that is very mechanistic and legalistic and formulaic yeah. and everything has its, it's like every gear interlocks with every other gear in the whole of the universe is this sort of clockwork mechanism. And, um, and this whole way of thinking leads into the reformation and leads into the whole foundation of Western thinking. So it's not just the conceptualizations of the gospel, it really is everything. The whole of the Western experiment uh, and the enlightenment, post-enlightenment. Um, and I think that there's, uh, there's a rationalistic privilege where we think in terms of what we can measure, analyze and quantify yeah. as being the route to truth. But to quote um, Doug Campbell, who you need to have on if you haven't, um, he, uh, he points out that when Jesus says, I am the truth, there's only one of two things you can do with that. You can either believe it or not. Because as soon as you ask the question, is that true? You've already disbelieved it. Because you've right. subjected that statement to another standard of truth. So you wow. said, I have another standard of truth, and I'm going to judge this statement by that standard that's yeah. non-relational, not connected to him, and it's not based on faith. It's based on the rational mind. So as soon as you ask that question, you've disbelieved it. You can only either believe it or not. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a mystical statement as well, yeah. because it's, the, the, it's not something you can process rationally or quantify. And I think that the whole of the Western world has made this error in a way that the Eastern world has not, I and mean, I think there are other issues there, but the, the, the acknowledgement that the, at its heart, our faith has a mystical and mysterious access that can only be experienced and encountered. It can't be intellectualized, even though the, 
there's value in intellectual pursuits. They're always secondary. So I think that that's that's the big difference. And I think the scholastic turn, um, you know, around about a thousand years ago is where um, we started having this idea that we can we can piece everything together like a giant jigsaw puzzle. Um, but but the world doesn't work that way. We certainly don't work that way. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I would maybe start it there. But, um, you know, we can kind of dive into specifics like the penal substitution thing, you know, or uh, right. um, or sort of more recently fundamentalism as a movement, you know, the last sort of 120 years or so. Um, and Jason, these, just, just real quick. I know Jason wants to jump in. I want to just put <laughs> real quick, just to corroborate a couple of things that you're saying. Um, first of all, <laughs> uh, the I, I Maybe it's an unpopular opinion, but I don't think the Reformation reformed anything. It was just the biggest church split in history. Um, I mean, although there was a, a, a restoration, and I think we've been on that path of a restoration of original, you know, thought and original experience where Jesus is concerned. Um, but the, the other side to that is, is that I believe anyone who is truly seeking truth will bump into Jesus. They eventually are going to bump into Jesus. They can't help it. But um, because there's so many people, they're seeking truth in Buddhism or, you know, in Islam or not even in, in other religions, that, but they really are seeking truth and they're, they're sincere about it. To me, you can't help but ultimately and eventually bump into Jesus. It's just a matter of, of time. Well, I, and I think that's, that's a, a great point because a good question for me is what happens when we take inclusion seriously? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm an evangelist at heart. And so I used to think, well, I'm bringing Jesus to people. Now I understand actually Jesus is already there. You know, he said to the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. And where is he? Well, he's everywhere, but where is he specifically for you? That's personal. And who, who is leading you to, who is introducing you to, but he's already there. And so my job is to bear witness and witnesses have to be able to see something like <laughs> often in the Christian world, witnessing means saying something, but actually witnessing means seeing. So I'm brought into situation after situation as we all are. And I'm invited to look with heaven's eyes to find the face of Christ and then reflect his faces in a mirror. And in doing so call attention to his presence where others have, or, or where all of us have not necessarily been able to identify that's the presence of of the father son and spirit so there there's the the witnessing so for me i always felt you know back when back when i was pastoring as well um and we're, we're part of a local church now kind of of a don't really have a formal role but we sort of input into the church and and advise and it's a, it's a great community um in bristol you know the nearest city to where we live um but back when i was pastoring full-time um, I felt like, well, when, when we were in, as long as we stayed within the four walls of the church, we would only hear a certain kind of conversation, which is the Christian conversation and the questions that mattered to us. As soon as you get outside of those four walls and start spending time with people elsewhere, there are all, the Holy Spirit's having all kinds of different conversations. And so I, I was like, I need to go and over here because I don't know what's going on there. It, it's an unknown to me. We sit in church and we pontificate about what's happening, say, in the Islamic community, Buddhist community, whatever community. And until we actually have gone and sat yeah. there as learners and listeners, 
listens to people and also listens to the Holy Spirit, we actually have no real credibility to, to talk about what's going on. So that's what I started to do. I started to take myself out of the church context and say, well, I'm, I'm going to go hang out at the Buddhist healing center. Went and hung out with the Jehovah's Witnesses for a while. That was fun. Um, <laughs> go and hang out, you know, with uh, um, the, the New Ages or we were in a very Jamaican um, community. So with Rastafarians, you know, and I would just go and, all right, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you doing? How do I get on board with that? And seeing um, really amazing things happen. But often I would walk away thinking, okay, I'm, it's going to take me six months to go and process what just happened because it, it, as soon as I accepted the invitation from the Holy Spirit to really take seriously what does it mean that God is not in a box, you know, a statement a lot of people make, then it's like, okay, well, how, how willing are you to have your boxes blown apart? Right. Um, and that, that, has, that has been my experience. But, but we, should, we should expect to discover Jesus in places where he's not, you know, air quotes, supposed to be. Yeah. Where's he not supposed to be? Go go and find him there. Um, and th that's been my sort of uh, process of, of encountering him. And then it's like, okay, go, go and encounter him there. Go back and think about it, pray about it, process it, figure out, okay, ha what have we missed? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, that's always driven me, is wanting to kind of get off the beaten track, discover the real presence of Christ there, not just as an idea. And I want a gospel that works in every situation. I don't want a gospel that only works in, you know, our Western Sunday morning church culture. It's not enough for me. And I've never got on with it, frankly. I've, I've never, I've always loved the church, but I've yeah. never liked church yeah. on any level. Um, and I felt compelled to be connected with the church because the father loves the church. But yeah. For me, it's it, you know, I, I've never I've never got on with it. So I, I have a real um, empathy with those who have just said we've, we're jacking it all in. There's nothing we want to do this anymore. So I, yeah, I understand that. I'm I'm only in it because a grace has kept me there. Yeah, that still keeps me there. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, but lo looking for Jesus where he's not supposed to be that's a that's a big one for me. I, I was gonna. I love that statement. Uh, the, you know, as you come into the, the, this union revelation and inclusion, and then, then the reality is, is, is uh, it, the, the liberty to go, because you know he's there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The idea that, that where he's not supposed to be doesn't even really exist. I know you're putting language around it. Uh, but um, uh, to jump on something else that I know we want to talk about a little bit, and you, you hinted at it. I haven't fit either. I like that phrasing. We haven't gotten. We haven't gotten on. Is that is that UK? Is that how you say yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I mean, I'm, I like used it. to your TV, but you know, I don't always know what phrases of ours you know or don't. So. I like it. I, <laughs> Being we a translation, no. <laughs> yes, I can say it about myself. We haven't gotten on at times, but there's a huge grace uh, for the church, uh, and of course, uh, as I have grown my understanding of the church has expanded as, as much as my understanding of, of the nature of love is, you know, uh, so the church is deep and wide, but the institutional model that, uh, we, um, that we've, we've felt, uh, almost trapped in at this point in the Western culture, there's a phrase that many folks have used the sin of certainty. Mm. And then you were touching on that. I think even, um, uh, when you were talking about the difference between Eastern and Western, and man, what I love about 
about this conversation, uh, even at the very beginning, you you talked about your rethinking moments were where your experience were incongruent with your theology, meaning your experience, you were valuing your experience as a holistic person should, as a, you were valuing it and going, hey, this matters. You know, we've been taught to almost compartmentalize experience in the Western culture. The experience actually has to come into alignment with the the box that we're in. And, and so, um, we have this phrase, the sin of certainty. And I think what, what we're dealing with in this deconstruction movement is, is, uh, is folks having, having said enough is enough. Uh, love doesn't fit in this box. Mercy doesn't fit in this box. Grace doesn't fit in this box. Goodness, the just word good, uh, doesn't work uh, with what I've been taught. And so there's this mass exodus. Uh, we're in the middle of it. Uh, and and I, I think you call the mass exodus from the Christian institutional experiment we call church. I love that, uh, especially among younger generation. I, I, you, you maybe, I maybe have about 10 years. We might have 10, 12 years on you. But uh, speak a little bit to what you see taking place. And, and, and as a hopeful from a hopeful perspective, because as you said, we love the church. It's just better than we thought. Yeah. Um, the, the hope piece, I mean, our, our ministry is called champions of hope. Um, love it. Our, our church is also coincidentally called hope chapel. Um, but we didn't, it's not our church. We didn't set it up, but it's a coincidence. Um, so we, uh, oh, and my wife, you, you mentioned Bill earlier, Derek. And so my, my wife is, a um, you know, um, has come from from Bethel uh, Church in, awesome. in California, you know, Bill, Bill Johnson's church. So yeah, she was mentored it. by Steve Backland, whose ministry is Igniting Hope. So we've kind of had that theme of um, hope. There's that, that verse in Colossians, you know, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And it struck me that we, if faith and love spring from hope, it means hope is the primary force. Faith and yeah. love come from hope. If hope's not in place, there's going to be a faith and love problem. Um, and... Hope means we can look at the future and imagine it to always be better than it is today. So there's all there's always a, a way in which things, yeah, we can, we can go further. It can look better. It can look more beautiful. There's no limit yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, it, hope springs eternal, truly, uh, and it's a, it's a creative force. It's a dreaming force. And one of the things I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I found whenever whenever things are not going so well, my, my world gets smaller and smaller, you know, it sort of shrinks. And yeah. then I'm thinking more and more just about me and my immediate need or, you know, just those things. And when, when my soul's doing well, my vision's expansive, you know, it's broad, it's future, not, not like future oriented in the sense of, oh, it's all about the future, not about the present, but it's a present or it's being anchored in the present, but within, with a, a sense of hopeful, expectancy yeah. for the future rather yeah. than you know this must happen or i'm not going to be happy you know but it's it's a sort of openness so the hope piece is really important um i mean what i see happen is uh well i i, I don't actually have a problem and and sometimes this um this helps me because there's a whole branch of our you know christian family conversation that love words like judgment and wrath and all the rest. So I kind of like to play to the crowd sometimes and say, yeah, you know, Jesus is judging the church. Um, and that's, that's cool. Like he's, it's a, it's an extreme judgment and he's judging it for our good because he's saying, I'm no longer going to no longer going to tolerate structures and paradigms that have actually harmed people and haven't 
um, clearly articulated the truth of what I've come to reveal about my father. And that's good. Um, John says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love because fear has to do with punishment. But God is love and, and perfect love casts out all fear. So from that, I understand um, I'm not afraid of Jesus judging me because if you know Jesus, you know, ju judgment in, is kind of an ironic word for Jesus. It's yeah. like I've come, I've come to help get you out of the mess you're in. Yeah. You're going to feel great. You know, um, there's there's nothing to be afraid. Of. The only people who are afraid of uh, the only people who are afraid of Jesus are those who don't know what he's really like. Yeah. Um, and the only people who are afraid of Jesus is judgment. So sometimes, you know, people have, people are in that place and they get a bit, you know, oh, you're, 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 you're a bit too focused on the love of God, brother, you know. Um, <laughs> like, oh, cool. All right, let's talk about judgment. Yeah, Jesus is judging the church. He's judging the hell out of the church, you know. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I, I, think, I think it's for, it's for our good, you know. It's, um, it's to expose the gold, the silver, and the precious stones and actually allow us to move forward with that. Um, I mean, it strikes me that if you think about it, there is virtually no significant contribution to culture in the 20th century that has come from the broadly evangelical world. If you if you think about, yeah. say, someone might say, oh, you know, Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings. Well, of course, Tolkien's a Catholic and C.S. Lewis is definitely not an evangelical. Right? And both of them were schooled by George MacDonald, who, um, you know, it's uh, the 200th anniversary next year of his um, birth. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are you are ignoring Left Behind, but carry on. Oh well, but that's it—the 67th book of the of the Pentecostal Bible, left behind. You know, I got into trouble once by getting up saying, "If you guys stood up in a church and said, if, if you like left behind, they do make fantastic firewood.'" And there was like a shock <laughs> breath in the room. You know, um, I got I got a, a little bit in trouble with the denomination for saying that, but um, I, you know, I I absolutely don't care. Um, I always think you haven't earned your stripes till you've been thrown out of at least one place. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but anyway, I was gonna, um, Jason went straight to the the big one. I was going to say DC Talk. I feel like DC Talk was a major contribution, but you know, <laughs> which song of DC Talk? Uh, Jesus Sound Freak, of course. It, Jesus Freak oh, broke all the rules, you know. Oh I'm yeah, kidding. yeah, for sure. I'm completely yeah. kidding. It is a, that's um, a fascinating. I want you to finish that though, because that's a fascinating. Yeah, I want I want to hear the rest of that. that well, well, so so this is so this is one of the things. I mean, I said I said to Baxter, you know, our mutual friend, um, the the. The fact is, the inability to um, the inability to make the transition from an in-out mentality to one that is anchored in inclusion, which mm -hmm. is centered in a faulty vision of the Trinity. Yeah, ultimately, wow. right, but the yeah. inability to do that means that for the if I can use the word evangelical in the broadest sense, you know, without getting too down another rabbit hole. Yeah, the, the problem there is that I know the mindset very well because it was me, right? Yeah. I know you are disciplined that in every level of your life, you constantly sort between the clean and the unclean, the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, the light and the dark. Everything is a constant filter. Every time you meet a new person, are you born again or not? If yeah. you are born again, we can have some kind of connection. If you're not, then you don't really want a connection with that person because they're going to burn in hell unless you, and if you kind of care about them, you're suddenly going to have a responsibility to do something about it. And chances are you're not going to get very far because how many people are we actually seeing coming to Christ, you know, these right. worlds? Or they're um, going to make you dirty. Or they're, going to, or they're going to make you dirty so you don't or, want or to. Right, exactly. You get contaminated or something sure. like that. Um, so suddenly the, it's completely impossible to engage with culture. 
And you had these sort of um, emerging church type movements, which were saying, oh, we'll go and influence culture and all the rest. But it was always a ruse. Yeah. You would only engage with music, art, literature, um, social well-being. All of that would only be meaningful if it was kind of the the initial selling point to get to the gospel conversation, which was four spiritual laws, cr- cross over the line. Um, and if that component wasn't there, what, what meaning did the rest of it have? And so as a result, there's, there's this complete vacuum. You know, there is no creative spirit. The creative spirit and the prophetic spirit are the same. Um, there's no creative prophetic spirit. And so suddenly the church can only be an echo and not a voice. And it's an echo of what's happening in the culture. And actually the truth is the Holy spirit has been speaking through the culture with many prophetic voices, um, not within the context of the church. I mean, I said to um, my my wife and I were talking about this the other day. I think Andy Warhol is one of the most significant prophets of the Mm -hmm. 20th century. He's also one of the most significant Christian prophets because he took the Eucharist every single day of his life. He was an Orthodox Christian and troubled for sure. But sure. in terms of the prophetic pulse that he could take, um, a friend of mine in the music world, I mean, Jason, maybe this is one for you. You know, he, he said to me, if you look back over, you look back over the hundreds of years of Western culture, you can track the major trends in terms of culture shift by what happens in the music because it prefigures right. it. Yeah. So he was talking to me about, you had this shift from, the Baroque period where um, all, all the instruments were kind of mixed together hmm. into the classical period where suddenly they were grouped into sections. And he said the classical period allows for the soloist to appear, the first chair violin or these things. Oh. And so you have this prefigures the rise of, um, of the value on the individual that comes in. In, in the Western world. And, wow. and so you can see that in the 20th century with, with, with both art and music, where the, wow. whole, um, the whole dissolution of the shallow certainties of the past, this begins to break down. In, and, and the artists, the musicians, um, the, the authors, they, they can see this, they, they interpret it. Um, but if, in, of course, in many ways, they interpret it without the, without the chaplaincy of those who have a a, a, a happy and positive and hopeful theology. Yeah. And so it's like, for me, Daniel's my favorite person in the Bible. You know, he, he starts off by having this vision and the vision is monstrous. It's like a horror movie. He's watching Saw 1, 2, 3, and 4. Right. And it's, it's like monstrous creatures coming out of the ocean and they're terrifying to him. It's like having this open, open eye kind of psychedelic vision of this, these awful beasts. And every time he says the first one, it's like, it's terrifying. And then there's other, then I looked and I saw there was another one, even more terrifying. And then right. I looked, but for Dan, it's like, I looked, I looked, I looked until I saw the ancient of days <laughs> and he, and then it's like, ah, and now I see it all makes sense. There he is, the throne that's above all thrones. He's working to a level of intelligence uh, and planning masterfully deeper than any of these worldly powers that are so terrifying. And I think that for a lot of people, they have a, have a sensitivity to the spiritual dimension and they, they interpret it, but without that, that, the hope that is an anchor for the soul that goes beyond the veil, it's like they can only see so far yeah. before they see something that's too terrifying and then it swallows them up. Mm. And it's, it's our job as a, prophetic people to actually help the world go further than that and say, let's, let's process it. Let's go beyond, you know, we have to look beyond the darkness. We don't hide from the darkness. We get into it 
and we look beyond it, we're there long enough until we can identify the light and call that out. And so I think that, that the this mass exodus that we're seeing is it's Holy, Holy Spirit's kind of causing people to to, to jump because like, well, we don't we don't kind of buy this anymore. I mean, from from a practical level, how did it happen? I mean, I think to really simplify it, when I first became a Christian in, in the 90s, in my teens, it used to be that we would say, you're a Christian. If you're faithful, you go to one church, you don't church hop, you commit there, you serve there. And yeah. you would know the most committed Christians by the ones who would be in church, their church every Sunday morning. Yeah. And at a certain point, everything shifted. And it was no longer the ones who were there every Sunday morning who were the committed ones. That It was well, the ones who were really committed were less likely to just be listening to one pulpit. They'd be listening online to dozens of different things, getting different perspectives and visiting and connecting with other churches. Because like, well, I'm committed to Jesus. I'm not so committed to the denomination. And so it would have, you'd have a point where those who, were, those who were more likely to be there every week were the ones who were least committed. And those who were less likely to be huh. there were the most committed to Christ. So there was this shift. Yeah. But the professional pastor class missed this because they were tracking in a parallel world where church was everything. And so you had this sort of divergence happen. And, and you know, in the Protestant world, we've created cohesion through the pulpit, not through the altar. Wow. So through, do through doctrinal agreement, that's how we've created unity and cohesion. And that whole yeah. thing has completely dissolved. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the bottom line is you can get up and hear the most carefully crafted sermon on a Sunday morning and then walk off get on YouTube or something and hear the best of the best in right. the world, you know? Um, and for me, it's a bit like you, you, you if you, if you want to listen to the best performance of Beethoven's ninth, you know, and you've got someone who's doing it like second grade style with a, with a badly tuned violin, you know, and all that, why are you going to listen to it? Um, you're going to want to listen to the good quality one, except um, if you want to listen to a jazz improvisation, you want it raw, you want it real. And that's what I think the pulpit should be about. But anyway, I'm, I'm sort of scattergunning here a little bit. I, like I it. think, again, to, to just try and summarize it, I think that so many people have, they've seen through the shallow certainties that were offered by the system. And they've just, they're just discovering Christ all over the place. Um, and I think the Holy Spirit's behind that. Just real quick, that you made that one statement that our agreement had been on doctrine, which is so true, and and they missed it. The, the, uh, uh, the, so there's been a shift. Talk a little bit. The shift has stepped away from its... Wh where do we find agreement now? What are you seeing? Yeah, well, I, 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 find, um, I find agreement with anyone who I can... I can connect with on the basis of, of, of peace, right? You, we're, right? You're a person of peace. Can we share that um, that sense of connectivity? And, and so what we're gathering around, I guess, the question, we're, we find agreement, but we're, we're not necessarily gathering around agreement. What are we gathering around? Where do you see, I guess, does that make yeah. sense? Well, I think, I think that everyone has within them a divinely calibrated sense towards what love, goodness, yeah. truth is, you know, these sorts yeah. of things. That can get messed up. It does get messed up in all of us, but the Holy Spirit is still within us bearing witness to that truth. Yeah. So we agree with that. We connect with that. We That's call good. that out. We bless that. We encourage that and we share that. And like uh, Bax is one of his statements I like. He said, uh, we could put a sign up above the door of every church saying, well, Jesus is the way, truth and the life. We have absolutely no idea what that means or how that works, but come and help us find out, you know. Um, I love it. Or, and when we could kind of riff off of that, but... I think it's fi it's finding those points of agreement, and for me, um, I I really pursue the, the the elegance of an economy of certainties. 
have a very economic view. We need some, we need to hang our hats somewhere. You know, yeah. at a certain point, you have to be able to stand up and say, I believe that Jesus actually is the son of God. He actually right. did rise from the dead, you know, right. at a certain point or not. Like if you don't believe that, whatever. But at a certain point, we have to be able to say, well, okay, this is, this is the basis for my hope. Right. I've seen Jesus rise from the dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, to talk about my, my neighbor, we ended up having a coffee one time and he's a, he's very spiritual, but he's humanist, you know, he, and he doesn't really like religion. He especially doesn't like Christianity, but he's, he's kind of spiritual. And we were talking and having, having a coffee. And I said to him, you know, I said, when you said this, this isn't this just now, I really saw Jesus in you. Yeah. I said, I know, I know you don't believe in Jesus. And that's absolutely <laughs> fine. I said, you may have really good reason why you don't believe. I'm, I'm not you, you know, that's not a problem for me. I said, yeah. but I saw Jesus here. And I said to him, you know, for many people, the God that they've been presented with is frankly worse than the devil. Sure. Right. Double predestination, you know, eternal fire, all these things. Right. Worse than the devil. I said, if you're, if, if the God you presented with is worse than the devil, the only Christian thing to do is be an atheist. Right. You have to reject yep. that God. It's the only yeah. Christian thing. Yeah. Now, if you haven't been given an alternative, what are you going to do? It's like, well, I, I am compelled. Love within me compels to say, Come on. I maybe don't know what's true, but it cannot possibly what you be what you guys are saying there. Yeah. And by contrast, if you're sitting there in that place of cognitive dissonance, I want to ask, well, are you are you quenching the spirit? Are you grieving the spirit instead yeah, of going yeah. within? It? So yeah. I said to him, look, man, you know, I've got no problem with you. And he said this to me. He said, you know, he said, you've got something on me. I said, really, what's that? And he said, well, you actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, you have a reason to be hopeful for the future. He said, I don't believe that. So I don't have a reason to be hopeful for the future. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So, well, yeah, that makes sense. And he goes, so are you going to pray for me then or what? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, cool, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll pray, you know, and we'll, we'll stay connected. And obviously, the Father, Son and Spirit have brought us together at this point in time. And I know you don't believe that, but that's not a problem because we're standing shoulder to shoulder in terms of what we would kind of agree with and what we can work together on and connect on because we have this, we have a, a calibration towards goodness, truth, goodness, and beauty. Yeah. 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 I, well, I, I bet Derek has something, but it might even be the same thing I have, but that there's love is my gravity. There has to be a certainty. We say it this way. Um, the more dogmatic I am in love as Jesus revealed it. And the resurrection is a huge part of that. But as Jesus revealed it, the, the, the less dogmatic I am about anything else, it, it, it's the liberty then to have these profound conversations. I mean, that is a brilliant thought, man. It really you is. actually have to be an atheist to be a Christian. Like you have to, it's, it's, you or have a follower to reject. Of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I, I think yeah. we could we could jettison the name Christian <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, it's not really placed in a good light anywhere most most of the time, um, and just be a follower well, of Jesus. Certainly in the West, yeah, well, we've, right, we've done right. we've done a lot of ministry in, in in the Middle East, and it's interesting because you say go go out to um, say someone like Turkey, um, and they'll say go and tell people. Like, so we we take taking people out on the street, and we we did this thing where we'd. Um, we took a band out and we went and hung up like photographs, like um, art house sort of photographs. And we invited people, come and pick a photograph and we'll listen to God for you based just on- real, the Just real quick. I love the transition from street preacher to this. This is- this Yeah, is... well, this is more fun, you know. <laughs> I, I, ended, I ended up on a, on a Turkish social media channel, I think, because these guys were there sort of filming for their YouTube. And then, and so I, I said, well, should I, oh, we call it do a reading, you know. But the, but the, the, the guys who were going out there said, listen, said, 
just tell people you're Christians because here they want to know that they don't they're fine you know they're Muslim but they're, but they're fine so we would say yeah we're we're Christians we've come here um we've come here because the world the world is such a divided place we believe in unity and in bridging the gap we love the Turkish people we love the Muslim people we've come here to bless you and you know ask ask God to give us a message for you personally wow. you know what is that let's pray for you and and you know we just had had the most phenomenal time in that sort of a space um coming in and just offering light um not coming in there you know it's it's never my never my intention to change someone's religion like that's that's between them and right. god what happens you know Love i'm it. just interested in connecting with you um yeah. let's let's touch reality together and reality to me is a person called jesus christ and when it says the spirit of truth will guide you to, into all truth. It's the spirit of reality will guide you into all reality. So we're dealing with reality here. Either it's real or it's not. Like if, right. if it's not, I don't need to pretend or fake it. It's like, well, we'll figure out what is real together. But this oh, is this is the Jesus I've met and I'm anchored with. And at the end of the day, this is where I recognize him in you. Um, so the, right. the, the separation mentality teaches us Jesus is not there, so we're not able to see him. And for many Christians, at the very point in their spiritual growth where the Holy Spirit is is leading them to be able to see him in people who are very unlike them, that's the very point where their theology kills that process off and quenches it and says, oh, no, God isn't in those people because they're not like you, because they're Muslim or because they're atheist or because they're LGBT or whatever, or because they're yeah. Democrat or Republican or what have you. They're, they're, he is not in them, and so now you can other them, you put a distance between you and them, and suddenly their spiritual growth is stunted. I call it spiritual puberty blockers, right? At that point, <laughs> your doctrine has killed off your spiritual adolescence, aborted yeah. it, because wow. you, you're now supposed to be able to grow, to recognize Jesus, not in the people who you like and who you know. That's maybe your starting point. Now you're supposed to recognize him in those who are very unlike you. Yeah. And for me, it's like I, I, I walk down the street sometimes and I think of, I think of my daughters, you know, the, the love that I have for them that's from the Father, Son, and Spirit, because he yeah. who lives in love lives in God and God in him. Okay, that's a contact point of the presence of God for me. Now, when I'm looking at people in my mind, I'm, I'm overlaying that. Okay, let me see them through the eyes that the Father has graced me to yes. see my daughters that connects me with the divine compassion that is that is growing me yes and and if i if i can't see them as in i'm not able to see them that way right um, so now i can't grow and the very things that the father son and spirit are trying to lead me into i can't go there and part of yeah. that is well can you can you go with the artists and the creators can you go and be prophetic in that space yeah um and just most people most not but much of the church is incapable of doing it because they've been disabled by the theology and similarly i've met many people who are in the most incredible spaces and they've had to say do you know what i can't square what i'm experiencing with my christian teaching i just had to park it i know this is god and i've just had to follow that's good and i said well i actually i can help you because I can help you sort this out because I, I'm, I'm, that's, that's part of what I do. You know, it's like, let's help get the, let's help you see what you were not taught to see from the scripture, from the Christian tradition, that actually you don't have to fight with that to go somewhere. It actually helps you rather than hinders you. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like a lot of that is happening at the moment in the church. Um, yeah. You know, I, th I feel like the, the Toronto experience, you know, the Father's blessing in the 90s, this ecstatic, joyful 
um, kind of thing. I mean, I came to that late because we were taught that was from the devil. You know, right. I, I got it in a hotel room, <laughs> like when I was itinerant <laughs> minister and in, in just having encounters in hotel rooms in Alabama. You know, I was there <laughs> back in 2011, wow. having this sort of just crazy experiences of the goodness of God. I'm thinking, oh, and laughing, just ecstatically. Oh, it may. Oh, it's not. It's not the devil after all. It's actually. It's actually <laughs> Jesus. But it's like for 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 so many people in that world the they've been baptized by this experience but because the theology didn't catch up it's like a whiplash effect a bungee cord that has snapped them back to this really hardcore kind of fundamentalist um in out type religion and it's like well you you haven't you haven't asked the question that the people asked on the day of pentecost what does this mean and what shall we do like what does it mean that God is actually like this. What do we, what should we do? Like, how do we need to change the way we think? How do we need to change the way we operate? It's like, we've tried to, we've tried to keep that in a box and ultimately that has now broken down. And I, I think that is the, the, the situation we're in, in terms of the the Western church. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, but at the same time, there's so much fallout there. One of the things I love about what you guys are doing is you're putting stuff out there that's reaching people who are, they're on the edge or they're off the edge right. and it's a really terrifying place to be you know it is yeah um and it doesn't need to be that way no um and excuse me i'm sort of monologuing a bit here but you've got me going you know uh, yeah <laughs> i feel like the story of the western church is like a bunch of white middle-aged guys no offense to any of us include white middle-aged <laughs> guys standing in the corner of the bottom the the, the lounge on the, the bottom floor of a 10-story mansion arguing about whether or not the painting in the corner of the wall is straight. All the while, the roof is on fire, the top three floors have caved in, and someone's plowed through the front of the house with a bulldozer, and the boiler has just exploded, and thieves are robbing the house. And meanwhile, they're there in the corner, like, arguing about these things. It's like, look around. Don't you see nobody is buying what you're selling? It doesn't make sense to them. You know, it doesn't create inexpressible and glorious joy, which according to the Apostle Peter is the acid test of the real gospel. <laughs> Though you have not seen him, you love him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, right? It's like gospel 101, Jesus 101.01, inexpressible and glorious joy. So I'm like, guys, take the joy meter here. If it's not inexpressible and glorious joy, you have a gospel problem because the Bible doesn't let you go anywhere else. There's nothing more fundamental than inexpressible and glorious joy apart from who is Jesus. So if the Jesus you've believed in does not directly connect with that, you have a gospel problem. We have to we have to go there. We can't say yeah. it's a problem with our programs or a problem with our music or I mean there are problems with those, but that's all secondary. Anyway, I'm preaching. Okay. Come on, man. Well, you're, you're preaching to the choir, but um, yes. <laughs> I, I, love I think I, I think I've said this before, but I, I think where the evangelical church and culture went completely off the rails was we got so obsessed with getting people, quote, saved, as opposed to just loving people well. So so the end game was, you know, well, first of all, you have when you have the separation mentality and it's an us and them, an insider, outsider, the first thing you have to get straight is Christ in you, the hope of glory applies to whom? Okay, all. Because if you don't have that mindset, then you're constantly going to be picturing people as insiders and outsiders as opposed to maybe awake or asleep. And, and I love your hope. I love your hope statement. <laughs> um, in fact, I was thinking about that in terms of this, this verse in Proverbs 11 in the message, and it says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, 
the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And how stingy are we when it's just this personal salvation? And, and you know, I'm in, I'm free from the fires of hell. You know, the kind of things that I grew up in uh, truly believing, but now having the generous freedom to basically love everyone the most. And, and this is a, a statement that I've kind of coined to keep my mind going back to love is the connector. Love is the answer. God is love. And when we love well, not only are we revealing God, revealing Jesus, um, man, we, we are bringing connection into these world, worlds around, around the simple fact that we are human affirming. And, and this is where I, I love, I used to kind of feel like this was a cop-out. My wife actually said, Derek, I think that's a cop-out. Um, but I, I felt I heard it from God. It's like, no, I became human. I became one of you. The incarnation is the proof that I am human affirming. You don't need to dive down other levels. I've, I've already affirmed you at the highest possible level, because then once you get outside of that realm of human, you get into, you know, male, female, black, white, gay, straight, uh, you know, management, labor, all divisions start happening underneath there. Whereas this unifying factor of, I have, why, why do I affirm you? Why do I want to demonstrate love in this situation? Uh, first of all, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe love is the only command. Uh, it's, that's the one. That's it. Love one another the way I have loved you. By this, all will know you're my followers. But then, you know, First John, he gets into saying, anyone who loves knows God. And this is where I can begin to point towards you loving well. Hey, where's that coming from? Are you just that way or... You know, are you being animated by something other than just what you think you are and call the gold out of them and get into relationship and get into community, um, not around the doctrines of the church, but around love. And when we get into that community, I think now we're talking about powerful awakening of, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, that's <laughs> what I'm hearing from you. And, um, and I love the idea that, that culture is uh, not only echoing this from heaven, but is actually capturing the cry of the heart. I mean, I remember, I remember years ago when Evanescence was, was big and it was, you know, the song, wake me up, I'm cold inside and whatnot. And I just had this revelation of the cry of the heart of that person for the true love of God. And I mean, yeah. it, it spoke to me, um, you know, I, I moved to Charlotte because of a U2 song, you know, walk on. We're packing a suitcase for a place none of us has been, a place that has to be believed to be seen. Uh, that was that was a huge prophetic moment for me to be able to take a step of faith. And I, I, I do love what you're saying. We, we will no longer uh, be satisfied with the concert and the TED Talk. That, that to me is like I, COVID proved that for me. Now, what what when we did come back into gathering together, there was that connection and that place of of unity and union and love that hey we get to express this in community um so I, you know i don't know where the church is heading i'm a pastor i've pastored what would be a traditional church that does the ted talk and the concert every sunday but i'm i'm open to all kinds of different ways in which god yeah. wants to move this this forward and that's those are the things Jason and I are, are exploring right now. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, I mean, yeah, I I I sometimes think, gosh, how many thousands of hours have I spent in church meetings in my life? Like, two right, months, right. Um, and it has been, you know, uh, yeah, like I said, yeah. I, I I I started preaching at fifteen and never stopped. Um, 
despite all sorts of craziness, you know, in the meantime. Um, so, uh, you know, 25 years um, for me. And I think um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not anti-organization, you know, I, yeah. I think, from an operations point of view, there's stuff that we can do if we're organized that we can't do. We can administrate finance. We can leverage different skill sets and abilities to get stuff done. Like I, I'm not, I'm not into the whole sort of iconoclastic thing where the only thing we can do now is just sit around a candlelit dinner, you know, on a, on a, around a table. I'm like, look, give, give me organization here. Like we need to mobilize. There's stuff, there's stuff that we need to be able to do. There's a creative impetus and an ability that we carry that should be um it, it, it's it's part of what we're created to do is to to organize and set these things up and if people hadn't done that in the past we wouldn't have the great things we have in terms of schools and medicine and all of it so i'm i'm uh, i'm not i'm not this i'm not a kind of iconoclast in that respect i think similarly the the the, the ted talk and the kind of concert thing if if that's still if that's still reaching people, then yeah. let's do it. But let's do yeah, it. Let's sure. do it well, yeah. and let's not do it. Um, it, it it's important that we, as as our pastors here in our, our church, Chris and Alice, and his pastor co co pastored by a couple, Chris and Alice, great friends of ours. Um, Alice said she's the real theologian. She said, um, you know, the kingdom of heaven is neither controlling or coercive. Therefore, yeah. in this church, we do not practice control or coercion. Like, yeah, amen, exactly. That's amen. that's why we can get on there. Yeah. Because um, the kingdom of heaven is not controlling the course. It's like the, 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 the government of heaven is not based, the power of heaven is not based on control. Yep. The government of heaven is not based on law and the warfare of heaven is not based on violence. Come on. These are three dimensions where we have got it seriously wrong yeah. in the past. So yeah. I would say we, we, let, let's let's gather but let's do it in a way that is open you know we come as learners and novices holy spirit tell us what to do like help us co-create with us what is what is it that we can engage with and we can experiment with and again it becomes this expansive thing we're not trying to maintain the status quo just because um and i think any anywhere that's willing a group of people that's willing to engage with that you're going to see healthy community and transformation and all the rest I think that the truth of the matter is many places, maybe even most, are just not going to engage with that. And God's still with them, yeah. blessing them, but they're, they're just running out the clock. And it's like, well, okay, fine. But the, the center of gravity of what's happening in the kingdom is not taking place there. It's taking place out in, in those who are asking questions about, well, uh, like people of good conscience. So like, well, how do we deal with this AI thing? Or how are we going to deal with the climate change thing? Or what do we do about the fact that we've got massive polarization in society? How, how are we going to get there? You know, um, it, it's out in that sort of a space. Um, or those who are trying to coach and guide others towards living in a, in a holistic and healthy, uh, healthy way. Um, so where's the center of gravity? I, I think That's that, you know, we, let, let, we can do our church thing, but let's, let's just all bets are off. Everything is fluid, right? It can, it can change. But that doesn't mean that we don't say, all right, well, the best we can do is this. So let's do it and let's do it well and yeah. let's improve it and change it. And at the end of the day, if we need to wholesale swap it out, we'll do that. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think sometimes we can get into this whole, this iconoclasm thing where it's just, we'll attack, attack for the no, sake no. of it. I think, I think you're right. I think it's a both and, and, and it's a, but I love the, I love the concept of, the center of gravity. And, and really, I think that's where our hearts are searching right now. It just specifically in regards to, you know, this community of believers called a church, 
that that I'm s- stewarding and serving here in Charlotte, and and it's like where where are we going, you know? And yeah, let me drop let me drop one on you, just a quick one. Ephesians: the church is the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Right, so He fills everything, which also means everyone, because people are included in everything. Right, everything is everything, so He fills everything and everyone. But the church is the fullness of that. So what does the fullness mean? It means the completion, the reciprocation. So right. like, okay, th- those who those who are um those who are cognizant enough of that reality to be able to reciprocate, whether or not they know the name of Jesus, you know, whoever lives in love lives in God, right? Like you yep. saying, Jason. But th- th- those who are able to reciprocate it, the church is that. And that overlaps with the Christian institutional experiment, yeah. but it's not Correct. the same. Yeah. And it yeah. also overlaps outside of the Christian institutional experiment. Yeah. But it's not the same because the, 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 the church is the yeast of the kingdom that spreads throughout the whole dough. So Jesus fills everyone. Not everybody knows that. Not everyone is in a place to, to reciprocate that. Those who are can be properly called the church. I mean, even the word church, ecclesia, I mean, I'm Greek, right? So they, it comes from Athens, where I'm from. You know, the ecclesia of Athens, they're the, I think it was the 10,000 people of the city who were responsible for kind of handling business in the city. But the city was full of citizens. Not all citizens were in the ecclesia. Right. Only a small number were were able to actually, they were, um, I guess, in theory, proficient enough or wise enough, you know, at that point to be able to participate in the ecclesia. But the whole city was citizens. Yeah. So, you know, we... Again, when we think about inclusion, it's like, what, what does the church mean in this? I know a lot of people struggle with that sometimes. How do we define it? So, well, the church is made up of all of those who can who we can reciprocate with and participate with. Yeah. Um, and it overlaps with the institution in at times. Oh, absolutely. Not always. In it. Yeah. So, sorry. I, I mean, just always think that one. No, no, right. Ephesians one. That's love beautiful. It. I love it. And just real no. quick, the, you know, Jason and I, we, we started this Facebook group. And, I mean, if you just look at it from, like, a, a church planter type mindset, um, we we went from zero to a thousand, over a thousand in in three months, and what church wow. planter wouldn't be like absolutely thrilled with that? But it's like it's this community that's connecting around this gravitational pull that God is love and He's not retributive and He is restorative and and Jesus is perfect theology. I mean, the, this gathering is happening in spaces like Facebook and like in my cul-de-sac with my neighbors, and so mm. you know I. I I'm just I'm I'm not going to distinguish it as it has to be this way or we have to follow this path. I, I just I love the Ephesians. Thanks for bringing that in. I feel like yeah. that's that's uh that's bringing some real wisdom into what we're what we're navigating right now. Uh, Derek, um, I love doing this with you. Love uh, what God is doing uh, in and through our lives, the connection, the reconnection over these last years, uh, what uh, the, the favor in life on, on Rethinking God with Tacos, whether it's the Facebook group uh, or the Zoom calls and the, the ones we have in the future, just uh, life-giving and a, a fulfillment of the vision that I had nine years ago when we stepped away from pastoring full-time to start a family story ministries a family story ministries was meant to create content catalytic for an encounter with the love of god i mean it was that simple and and uh and it was very empowering for me to then lean into writing 
lean into obviously uh, speaking and teaching uh, and, and led to the start of this podcast almost five years ago. A Family Story is a nonprofit and it's, um, it's been uh, the home for, for me for nine years as we've leaned in. And so anyway, I, I just wanted to share a little bit about the, the beginning of A Family Story. And, and I remember you saying uh, coming out of COVID that, hey, guys, we started a podcast. And you, you and Sarah were, were one of our earliest guests. Yeah, 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 and uh, and it definitely is content that is catalytic for an encounter with the love of God. Uh, we've yeah. experienced that by joining forces together. Yeah, uh, but I want I want all of our listeners to know that this is a listener funded podcast, and uh, rethinking God with Tacos has kind of taken on a life of its own in the umbrella of a family story. But a family story is your livelihood, Jason. Um, I, I get a salary from the church that I pastor and uh, I, I donate my time and volunteer my time to do this. But I want everybody to know that uh, you can give to make Rethinking God with Tacos available to as many people as we can possibly make it available to. If, it, if this podcast has in any way uh, blessed you, helped shape your rethinking journey, and been a safe place to experience community on the Facebook page, then I, I invite you to uh, to give, not out of compulsion or arm twisting, no. but out of uh, out of joy and yeah. generosity. Uh, give into a family story, and you can do it at afamilystory.org. There's a giving function on there. And we invite you into partnership with us. It's a way that we can partner together to establish the kingdom of God through this podcast. Uh, and I love doing it with you, Jason. I really do. Yeah, yeah same here, man. Thank you. So grateful uh, for those who have given and who, who bless us and, and have prayed for us and partnered with us over the years. So love it. Love doing this with you. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you all soon. You, uh, you, you walk down the street, you have two daughters and you talk about compassion filling you and, and then empowering you. And, uh, and what I'm, what I'm hearing and what we're talking about is uh, we, we call it a family story for a reason. Uh, the ministry we started because it, it's, that's the, that's the long game of love. And so I, I look at, what you're talking about and say the structure is going to serve the unique family. It's going to serve, you build the structure to serve the culture you're in, the unique nature of the family that you're in. But we're looking at everyone as a part of the family, whether they know it or not. Right. And so, and so, you know, for me, uh, for years, church has been uh, where two or more are hanging out. Uh, the structural part of it is is really what serves love. What serves love in this place? How do we serve love uh, in this culture in this moment? Um, I want to I want to shift because I, I, there's a third thing we want to talk about. Man, when you first got on here, uh, I, I'm not kidding. There was like you started and you started talking, and I went, "Oh, I really like this guy." <laughs> My my heart started burning, and I was like, I like this guy. I, I don't know where he's been my whole life, but uh, <laughs> this guy's my brother. I can tell. We got similar language, um, similar similar stories. And Paul, um, I had the same thought. Just just I, FYI, well, I, feel, I, I mean, really I love like, this I, guy. I think yeah. I feel like maybe I've had had the advantage because I've sort of 
known you guys a little bit from from afar you know, sure. podcast, so it's mutual thank you thank you <laughs> I, I, um, and I, but there's, there's a real something romance there. going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's something there. Um, I'm an experiential guy, a relational theologian. That's the, if you've heard, that's, that's how I talk. That's the language around it. I, I if you want to understand sovereignty, it's the sovereignty of love. Like I, it's, I, it's all about heart to heart connection. It's all about practically how it works in the context of, you know, my relationships, my wife, my kids, my neighbors, my, my the, this conversation right now. That that there's an invisible thing that's taking on. I love that you are recovering uh, Pentecostal, in all of the best ways, uh, because you've had conversations. You've you've brought up uh, the goodness of God. The the the, the I went to um, uh, uh, airport vineyard or vineyard. Mm. Uh, it was called airport at the very beginning, and I I went there. You know, in ninety three, ninety four, um, early days. Yeah, the early days. I've been a part of uh, all kinds of movements. I've experienced what we called supernatural uh, encounters with the goodness of God. And and then maybe some of the biggest shifts uh, connected to Bill and Bethel uh, early on until God dealt with desperation. Uh, and I was still in, in, in separation. I was even there. I was looking to Bethel to go. The, the gifts follow me. I You know, that, that idea that um, if you're not... Uh, if if the gifts aren't following you, then you're somehow outside of who you're the call of God, and so still a striving, still a separation, thinking around the supernatural, um, and and, and a desperation that that was all, all often un, unhealthy. You know, uh, my biggest shift was moving away from uh, realizing my heavenly Father didn't want desperate kids. That, that, <laughs> that desperation is not the spiritual high watermark of, uh, of or the uh, high watermark of spiritual maturity. And I've talked about that enough, but I I'm fascinated by um, the, the idea of supernatural reality from union. Um, I'm hungry for it. For blind eyes, you know, we've seen these things. We've, ex but, but, but to be able to walk in such a way where we're operating uh, from love, from union, there is no distance or no separation. And I know you can speak to that a little bit. And I, I didn't want to end this conversation without kind of. Yeah, th thank, thank you for bringing that. I, I mean, so in our family conversation, you know, the, this wider conversation. I think one of the things that's happened, Baxter and I have talked about this a lot, you know, um, t 20 years ago, there was this sort of interest in the conservative evangelical world in a Trinitarian vision. And then they they went cold on it, decided it was heretical, and they all galvanized around this double predestination, you know, gospel coalition type stuff. And they sort of kicked everyone else out whether it was Rob Bell or, you know, out of the the, right. the, the mix, and they sort of doubled down really hard on this. Um, what we've seen in the last 10 years is the charismatic world, who had nothing to do with these guys, the sort right. of the Armenian, you know, Pentecostal charismatic experientialists, so, kind of track their way into uh, a, a Trinitarian um, yeah. grounding. Yeah. And they've been like, oh, yeah, this is what we've always felt. We just... You know, haven't really been able to articulate it, but yeah, this makes sense. And they they've jumped on it, and it's now, now this is the whole world. Like this is the conversation around the whole. And I, I mean that literally. You guys know, but um, from from not not just in the English speaking world. I mean, it's literally the, the whole world is alive with this conversation. When we're talking to people, Africa, South America, Asia, you know, everywhere, um, and and it's 
it's coming on on the coattails of the Pentecostal renewal. Um, and the truth is the developing world, the global south, if you like, prefers Pentecostalism. I mean, that's okay. what Ian McCormack says is from a theological point of view. This is the mode of Christianity. Why? Because it makes sense to people because they're not Western modernists. They are. They have a, an, an integrated view of spirituality and the immediacy of that in their life, and they're like, "Yeah, well, we pray and we see stuff happen, you know, and, and God meets us there." So that that makes sense to them. And there's a there's a lot to unpack about that, um, and and critique compassionately, which is what I do. You know, it's a compassionate critique. Um, but what we've what we've had is this inroad of um, people with a, with a a, a, a supernatural sensibility, if you like, who who have tracked into getting this theology, and there's there's been a, this fresh coalescence of people in that conversation now who are taking that message and uh, and running with it, and um, and so I I think that's some context. But what I what I do see is that sometimes people go through the so-called deconstruction thing, which usually happens through crisis. You know, it doesn't usually happen nicely. Usually happens right. very messily, right? Yeah, yeah. Religious people talk about how spiritual people have been there. Right? So you, <laughs> you you hit that, and then the it, it, assuming you make it out of there and you, you're not kind of um, on Xanax, you know, whatever. Which I was, you know, like um, assuming you're not there, um, uh, and you you've kind of come out the other side, bottomed out. Um, then the the inclination is to be like, oh well, okay, well now we can see God everywhere. What room is there for this whole? Um, well, we're praying and we want to see healing or, you know, particularly if you see through a lot of the charlatanry and the, and the magicianship that comes in right. that world, too. You know, how easy it is to manipulate people. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I always feel like it was really the father's wisdom that I started out in the kind of hardcore end of Pentecostal revivalism. Because the fact is, on day one, we saw miracle. I mean, real. Yeah. So you can't like not not like, oh, I had a headache and it went away. It's right. like. My my leg was shattered. I couldn't stand on it. I'm an atheist. I don't believe anything's going to happen when you pray. You say one word. Now I can walk, and I'm terrified. Like that kind of a thing yeah. that we, we we saw happen, right? Um, and the, actually, it, it's because of that that kind of grounding in um, in the the imminency of the the the, the imminent presence of the Father, Son, Spirit acting in and intervening. I've, I'm like, I, I can't deny those things that I've seen and I've walked through. And yeah. my natural predisposition is to be intellectual about things. You know, again, I'm a Greek. I mean, I, I work a couple of days. I'm, I'm a lecturer. You know, I work in a university. Like, so I, I've, I've got, um, it, it's easy for me to look on the intellectual side and on the critical side and and pull apart and deconstruct from that side most of the things that are going and the truth is if i smell a rat usually there's a rat you know i'm i've been around long enough to trust that yeah but for the fact that over and over again i've seen the father son and spirit intervene and one of the things that i noticed sort of a lot of people who've come from that background they go through that sort of deconstruction thing and they can sort of drop out into this whole a very sort of deistic or pantheistic well god's just kind of everything and i get that and that's okay maybe that's fine you know you're in the stage you're you're in but um, but there's a, there's a certain grace and expectation. I mean, let's go back to the church fathers. Read Athanasius. What does he say? He's like, look, man, 
his argument is Jesus has risen from the dead. How do we know? Well, how come everyone we pray Great for quote. comes back to life? You know, how come that we, if there are demons in the water, we cast them out and everything's fine? You know, he's got this kind of thing going on, right? right. But he's like, I, and, and then he says, and the bottom line is none of our people are afraid of death. And that's completely unnatural. So you tell me how they can, how, how can it be that our people are not afraid of death if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead? You know, he, he, it's, it's not, it's a both hands, you know, use, yeah. use your, your phrase there, Derek. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really um, trying to fly the flag a little bit. And also I found in, in, in connecting, you know, with um, particularly with Baxter and David Peck and those guys, and we've been out in the U.S. a couple of times um, the, in the last couple of years and through the introducing the Trinitarian faith course and these things. I've also connected a lot more with people who've come from more of the reformed background who for whom the idea of like listening to the voice of God or, or healing or all of that is totally new. Um, and we're wanting to say, look, there's, there's, a, there's a heritage here we don't want to lose, you know. Um, a good friend of mine, Catholic friend, we have blazing arguments, and we're good friends. Um, he said, you know, um, we, we talk about, like, the Pentecostal renewal, Azusa Street, whenever it was 1904, 1906. Yeah. Um, he said, did you know, at the end of the, the 19th century, there was a, a, a Catholic nun had a vision and she said she wrote a letter to the Pope saying the vision that I had is that the 20th century is to be the century of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the Pope called a special convocation in St. Peter's Square in the Vatican. And they did they did a prayer. And he said, we're, we're going to pray to dedicate the 20th century to the Holy Spirit. Hmm. The very next day was the Azusa Street outpouring. Wow. Right? Now, you've got the, the, the Pentecostals have been like, well, the Catholics, the Antichrist. <laughs> Right, right. You know, they're, so, they're so in that kind. Of, so many of them are in that kind of space. God bless them. Um, but but the fact is, there's this you know the, the, this u, this unifying thread. You know, to your point earlier, Derek, about the Reformation. There's this unifying thread that we Protestants have been blessed by something that's come from you know Saint Peter's Square in the Vatican. And frankly, you know, I'm an equal opportunity critiquer, you know, to quote the South Park guys, we're equal opportunity offenders, right? Uh, I, I'll, you know, I'll shoot at anyone who's willing to take a bullet, you know, <laughs> including myself, you know. Um, so there's plenty to critique in the, in the institutional Catholic world, Orthodox world, or all the rest. Absolutely. Um, but there's, you know, the, the masterful conspiracy of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's the thing that gets me. The real conspirator of the, are the Father, Son, and Spirit. They are working to like centuries <laughs> long, millennia long timeframes yeah. that we haven't got a clue about whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, for me, I'm like, let's not let's not drop. I mean, I'll give you a, I'll give you a little story. And one thing's about this compassion thing. We've really got to nail this one. Um, Catherine Coleman. I love Catherine Coleman. She's totally yeah. wild. Uh -huh. um, but her biography. She said this thing. She said, you know, um, when I go to pray for people. Sometimes I just start asking them, you know, how are you doing? Like, how many children do you have? These things. And she said, people think I'm just shooting the breeze, but I'm not. She said, I'm building up a mental picture. This guy in front of me is an alcoholic. How many kids has he got? What's the situation with his wife? What, what's his work? She said, I'm building up a mental picture of all the people who are about to get their father back, who's about to get the wow. husband back, who's about oh, wow. to get their brother back, their neighbor back, their colleague back. And she says, I ask those questions wow. until the compassion comes. Oh. Because until the compassion comes, I'm not ready to pray. So, but yeah. once that suddenly she says the compassion comes, that's when I know. Come on. And she said, and that's when I pray, and that's when things happen. And we we took my wife my wife and I, we actually took a Bethel missions team some years ago. We took them 
Uh, we hosted them, you know, um, so we've got long, great relationships with Bethel. And by the way, are in very um, positive and interesting conversations with many people in Bethel too, yeah. which, um, uh, you know, about the, about this, these sorts of things. Um, I would love to hear about it, but yeah, okay. off the record, <laughs> we should talk about it a bit. Um, but uh, we took this, we took this group and normally they go and do different meetings and said, let's take them to the soup kitchen. We took them to the soup kitchen and it was like, it's, it's a war zone, you know, people are coming in and this one guy walks in, I just remember a young guy and he's, he'd been, he's sleeping rough. He, 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 the night before he'd had all his, he had his sleeping bag taken, his backpack taken, everything that he'd owned. He'd spent the night in the emergency room. He'd had his jaw smashed and his jaw was wired shut. He couldn't open it. He came in for food. The only thing they could give him was soup, right? He needed to have it through a straw. And I'm like, I got, I just pray for the guy, nothing happened. I, you know, I asked, offered him, prayed for him, and it was just bothering me. It's like, God, it's just not right. It's just not right that this guy walks in here and, I mean, praise God, we can offer him soup, but he needs more than soup. And, you know, I was just looking at him and I just felt this compassion that was not from me, you know, it's from the Holy Spirit. And I went up to him at the end and said, listen, I said, look, I, I know I pray for you once, please can I pray for you again? And he said, yeah, you know, he was, he was just whatever, you know. I just prayed for him again and nothing happened. I'm like, I just got to pray for you again and pray for him a third time and just bang, suddenly his jaw pops open. It's completely healed hmm. and he's got it back. And he's, you know, and obviously this is amazing for him. And he, but he's just like, he's just so got so many issues he's got to deal with in his life. I mean, he's not falling on his knees. Oh, thank God. Or whatever. He's like, oh, right. wow, that's great. Amazing. I've got my jaw back. And he goes off on his way. And I said to the guys afterwards, it's like, it's, it's so easy to do miracles in your place. Like, because the, the, um, you, you know, the, the, Jesus is close to everyone, but he's especially close to those who know that they're poor, right? Those, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the poor. So, and I find that in there, it's it, it's it's essential for me. Like, it, I, I need my soul. It needs to be ministered to by those people. Like Mother Teresa said, when she you would send people out, when they would come back, she would ask them one question: Did you meet Jesus? Did you meet right. Jesus in the people who wow. were serving? Yeah, and this thing of of understanding that the 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 flow of compassion, um, it's not about power, it's not about fireworks, it's about yeah. compassion. Right. If we can if we can track with that, then faith can work through love. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we, um, I think that there's a whole. I've I've had this thought for a while, and you know, I I, I felt like maybe. Maybe the Father, Son, and Spirit have withheld certain demonstrations of power on the earth because they have seen and they know how destructive power is, even good power. You know, how easily we elevate people and make them into, you know, some right. latter-day prophet. And, and right. we all know how that ends, right? Yeah. Over and over we've seen that, you know, and have picked up the pieces God knows how many times from these train wreck yeah. situations. Yeah. And some of them are going on right now as we speak, right? right? So, you know, over and over again, we've seen that. And maybe Jesus is like, I've got to judge the church and say, we need to cure you guys of this dysfunctional, crazy schizophrenic God image you've got. Yeah. So we can get you on the other side of it. And then we can actually work together to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 The dealing with the hierarchical. Yeah. Right. And and it's not going to blow you guys up because you're not trying to build, you're not trying to build your social media ministry on how many hits you've got or, you know, yeah, whatever. it's it. not about that anymore. Yeah. So but I'm, I'm hopeful that that's true. And, you know, we've, we've seen the incredible things happen. And then we've seen many times where we've prayed and things 
haven't happened. And you know, I I, I don't know, I don't know if you're up for stories, you know, time wise and things, but um, you know, I, I can certainly share some of that and what I've learned learned through that. Um, coming having come from a place of knowing all the right answers and then realizing the one who thinks he knows something doesn't yet knows he ought to know. Right. Yeah. The one who loves God is known by God and having that what? completely blow apart. And it's like, well, I don't know any answers now, but I know the answer. Well, rather right. more importantly, he knows me so we can track together and see some stuff happen. You know? Yeah. One, one quick thought, you know, with the mother Teresa quote, Jesus himself said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. You know, when, when, when did we, you know, the questions that come, Lord, when did we do that to you? You know, you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I think what you're hitting on is so important as far as the nudge of compassion. That's how I describe it. It's the nudge of don't wait for the nudge of compassion yeah. that is yeah. coming from within you, but it's not really just you. It's the, the spirit is beginning to demonstrate the pure love of God toward that situation. Cause we can get yeah. moved in our emotions about all the sad stuff that's going on in the world. But when the when true nudge of compassion comes, then it's, I believe that's a time to act. But you know, even, even in, in uh, Corinthians, you have this concept that, you know, you can, you can heal the sick and raise the dead and prophesy and do all these things. And without love, you are yeah. bankrupt. So yeah. I, I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying in the fact that maybe there is a, um, Almost a divine uh, withholding. I, I hate saying it that way because I, I feel like God doesn't want to withhold anything. But there's almost like I'm waiting. Timing. I'm waiting for all. I'm waiting for everyone to wake up to love. And when they truly are motivated by love, and and let love be the greatest thing named amongst you. And you know, now, man, we can release this dynamic of the healing and the virtue that comes out of us, and the you know, the the amazing miracles and signs and wonders because we're not going to try and get into a, a power grab. Not, we're not going to try and throw it into some type of, you know, Robert Tilton TV show. Um, ooh, there's a blast from the past. Where did that come from? <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I, I, I love, I love where you're going with this because to me, the center of gravity is, is, is love. Love is the yeah. gravitational force. And I believe as we head that direction for what it looks like for those who are followers of Jesus, but also for those who are not awakened to the reality of Christ in them, the hope of glory. And I like Baxter said something last time he was on about not giving up on the name evangelical and the, mm -hmm. the word, because he wants to recapture what its ultimate essence truly was, um, in, you know, the evangelon yeah. uh, in the Greek. And so I, I feel like the, the true uh, the true evangelists are waking up to love as being the primary objective and, and, and the hope element that you're bringing into it. I mean, come on now abides faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these mm -hmm. is love. But if you can't get people to a place of hope, um, there's no way you're going to awaken them to the reality of Christ in them, the hope of glory. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I love, I love this, this conversation could go on for like another yeah, day. Yeah. I love the, uh, I mean, if, if, as, as you're say, saying, Derek, if, if love is at the center, other-centered, self-giving, cruciform love is, uh, you know, then union becomes uh, something we, we're operating from. Uh, and I, I think you're right, Paul. Um, you know, in, in the context of separation, uh, everything becomes a hierarchy. To, 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 Jason, can I make, maybe go back to something 
you guys asked Derek, I think you asked like right back at the beginning, like what what did I learn from the, the from the Chinese church? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think this is really relevant to if I could say, can I say our tribe? You know what I mean? I do not mean in an in out way. I mean, yeah. people who are kind of who are going to listen to this podcast will be in the yeah. Facebook group. Um, so dial back five, six years. Number one question I would get asked is what about hell? That's not the number one question now. The number one question I get asked is what do we do about church? Because we can't we can't do it. anymore. Yeah, we can't do that. Like that's the number one. Who do we connect yeah. with and all the rest? Yeah. And um, one of the things I learned from the Chinese was b there was no one to give you permission, right? Right. Because there was no, uh, you, you know, you can't, you can't go and talk to a pastor. You can't go and see a denominational board to get a license or anything. You know, you've got switched on to Jesus, man. Like you, you've, you've encountered Christ. Right. What are you going to do? Um, yeah. No, nobody tells nobody tells you you can't do it. So I remember there's this one uh, one woman who I know she's a nurse here in the UK now, Chinese, um, but she um, she told me yeah. So I became a Christian and then I just opened my home and then I had 50 people meeting in my home and uh, they were from all different nationalities and you know nobody told her she couldn't do that. And I, I think it's it's worse in my country in the UK. People here are so deferential. It bugs the hell out of me. It's like <laughs> flipping, make a decision. You know, stop waiting. For somebody to tell you you can or you can't, like yeah. Um, but I, I do think there's so many people who's like you've been a Christian 30, 40 years. You've now had this sort of um, deconstruction or revitalization or awakening, whatever you want to call it. And you're asking, well, who do I? Where do I go to, to church? Like maybe maybe you haven't got a church to go to because you were supposed to plant one 20 years ago. Maybe you were supposed to get your neighbors. Maybe you were supposed to go and connect with those people who are not in this conversation at all, who know nothing about it. Go and Go to the highways and the byways, right? Go and have that conversation because um, I think that there are there are many people and something John Wimber said I liked. He was criticised once. Where's the meat in your sermons? And he said rather kind of cheesily, "Well, the meat is on the street." It's like if you if you want to learn reality, the reality of this theological articulation this is my yeah. way. You go and put it into practice. Jesus says, "If anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he will see whether or not they're from God." That's good. If people are if people are like trying to figure this stuff out, go and put it into practice. Go and say, yeah. "All right, I'm going to go sit on the bench in my local park and ask the Holy Spirit. Okay, show me what to do." But like in that Bruce Willis film, you know, them Night Shyamalan one, where it's, um, uh, he's a superhero. You know, I can't remember what it's called. And um, he he's like he realizes, okay, I've got this ability to detect when people are in danger. Now I just need to go where people are. So he goes out there and he just waits. Okay, I'm waiting for a readout. And then he gets it and he follows and goes and rescues this this kid who's been kidnapped and things. Um, it's like that. Go and take yourself out of your zone. We can get so like um, circular in our conversation. And for me, that I'm really motivated by you know the, the Celtic Church. For them, pilgrimage was a three-dimensional thing. It was like a pilgrimage in terms of my inward journey to know Christ in me. It was a pilgrimage to know the physical journey of going somewhere, you know, physically moving, getting out there and doing something, and the yeah. pilgrimage of, dis of, 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 of the mission and seeing, you know, whatever, working with the Father, Son, and Spirit where, where we go, and we discover who he is in that place. And I feel like there that we can get so, um, again, it can be a trap, this very heady kind of trap, where everyone, I, I, I get, it makes me a little bit, um, gets under my skin a bit. I seem to see lots of conversations that are, um, 
you know, just drawing from uh, a lot of Eastern mystics. And by the way, I love, I mean, I, I studied, I studied Tibetan Buddhism, part of my degree, I studied Chinese Taoism, you know, I've, I've studied the works, and I've got my uh, um, deep dives on the history of the New Age movement and all this. Like, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what is the Holy Spirit saying in all kinds of different places. But I am, I'm resolutely Trinitarian. Right? But sometimes it's just I hear the stuff and it's like there's no weight to it. There's no substance. It's just so wordy. It's like go out and go out and love somebody. Actually, go and yep. connect with them. Stop telling yep. me everything's about love. Just do it. Like demonstrate right. the, the kingdom is not talk. It's power, and not power in the sense of hierarchical power. It's power yeah. in the sense of the dynamic, the dynamic energy of God. Where Paul's like, man. I I can't even string a sentence together. It's like if I'm if I'm putting ten words together that you it's if, if that makes sense it's for your benefit because if yeah. it's for me I'm just in ecstasis. He says I'm just skylined with the Holy Spirit. I struggle with all the energy of God that so powerfully works within me. I, I'm not preaching the message. The message is preaching me. I'm like frankly I just check out right now and go and be with Jesus. It's just better for you that I'm here. That's the only reason why I am. You know he's in that <laughs> yeah. kind of space. Um, and so I'm like well let, let's go and demonstrate that so and i feel like there's there's a there's a bit of a um some sort of um i don't know uh it's something un unfortunate or it's an obstacle or an issue that we need to um healthily process in our in our family conversation where it can just suddenly become this very um it's just another kind of religion yeah. that yeah, it's yeah. sort of a it's kind of like a, a facebook meme type religion yeah. and i'm like well let, let's get back into reality here because when you when you sit with people who have no food right like we we're connecting with these guys out in pakistan i mean they're the um their their house their homes destroyed in august you know and these uh, these islamic extremist riots you know over quran burnings had nothing to do with them they just went and yeah. destroyed their homes and everything they lost everything when you sit with those people, like you can, you can sort of say something very kind of uh, clever and social media, but it's like these people need reality. Like they need right. the reality, not, not the nice idea. Um, so I think we, um, I think we, we, I, I want to encourage anybody who's listening to this, who's, who maybe you can go disappear up your own drain pipe asking questions all the time. And sometimes it's like if you want to know the answer, get on the road. Like yeah. get out there good, and discover the answer by discovering it in interacting with Jesus and meeting those people because you will learn more there than you will reading a hundred theology books. Um, yep. That will just inflate your head. Like the the the, <laughs> the, the reality is acting in the flow of love, and then you if you if you're that way inclined, go and read some theology. And, okay, let's figure this out and process what we've learned. But you're going to learn it at the coal face. You're not going to learn it in the ivory tower. Yeah. Um, and I think that we've got right now, I'm desperately passionate about this. My generation does not exist in the church. In this country, no one, right? My generation are younger, they're just not there. Um, in, in the US, it's headed that way pretty quickly, very, very rapidly in the same, uh, the same scenario. And when I connect with these guys, they do not know anything. Don't bother talking to them about penal substitution and try and deconstruct them. They don't have any clue about this. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. You know, I was counseling this one guy, kind of coaching him, and um, it started out some, he was like 20. Uh, friend, my friend's son introduced him to me, said, he's a, he's a mess, y you see him. And I just did some inner healing stuff with him. After an hour, he's like, man, he said, I don't believe in God, but for the last hour, I've just heard him speak to me. Like, what does that mean? And so I started meeting up with him and just coaching him in life. And he was just having these most profound encounters with the Holy Spirit without sinner's prayer or any of that. He was just going. Yeah. And one day I wanted to I wanted to share with him something from Psalm 23. I said, Do you know Psalm 23? 
He's like, I don't know what you just said. I don't know what those words mean. I was like, <laughs> oh, I said, the Lord is my shepherd. He's like, never heard that before. And I'm thinking, and he was a musician. He was a drummer, actually. So I just paused and I was like, yeah. Remember in the 90s, Coolio did Gangster's Paradise. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know the song. He said, that's Psalm 23. He goes, oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> Even though I walked through that and shadowed that. But that was his point of reference. Like, this yeah. is a, a British kid brought up in, you know, in, in, in the, the Christian West. Yeah. Um, so uh, th I, I feel like we, th th there's this, there's a sense of like, let's, we can get our head out of our ass, you know, sometimes. We need to just get, just get out of there. Like, Try something, you know, see what happens and see, see if these words are really, see if it's true. People yeah. want to argue, well, is it true that Jesus is in everyone? Go and find out. Yeah. Go and meet some people yeah. you don't think that Jesus is in and ask him if he's there. And just ask him, like, Baxter's got a great starting point. Jesus, are you in me? It's like, yes. Yeah, right. Right. Let's go, let's go find out, well, Jesus, are you in that person? Show me what you see. Like, we, we have to change the nature of the questions that we're asking. Um, and there's a whole bunch of people. It's like, man, by this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. You've been Christian for 30 right. years. By this time, you ought to have already established something for your community that is yeah. the very thing that you need. Um, yeah. Why haven't you done it? Like, go. You don't need permission. Like, get on with it. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I feel this kind of urgency, especially around these uh, these young guys. Uh, I think I say young. It's not even really that young. But um, where they're, you know, they're they call bullshit on the whole institutional thing and they see it so clearly because they haven't been inoculated to it yeah. like yeah. we were right yeah. they so it, so they're not having a backtrack out of that they're just more like man that doesn't that can't possibly be right like if that's the god you're talking about frankly i'm not interested it doesn't make doesn't make any sense at all so i, I but I want to be with Jesus where he is with those people. And I, I think one of the, again, one of the things I love about what you guys are doing is I think this podcast actually has some currency to reach people in that sort of a space. Yeah. I think there's more that's needed as well. I mean, one of the things we're working on is really leaning hard into the new age world and looking carefully at our vocabulary. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that so with, with the word evangelical. For me, I'm like, flush it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think, you know. I had the well, same thought. Well, you know, I'm happy to say, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a new age shaman, if that's what you need me to be. Like, I have no, right. no problem. Um, you know, it's not, I, I, I don't care about the semantics. I care about the reality. So uh, let's, right. let's track together. And we're finding that. Like, we're finding all these, this whole community of people, Silicon Valley types and all that, who just spend every other weekend on ayahuasca trips. And they meet Jesus, and then they're like, I've had this encounter with Jesus, and he's talking to me about union. And then a couple of weeks later, they start backtracking. Oh, no, it couldn't really be Jesus or something. It must be, must just be a universal force, you know. And it's like you're actually now intellectually going against what the Spirit of Christ in you is pointing right, to. You know? Right, and So we're, we're really trying knowledge, to these guys. Knowledge puffs up, but love no, builds yeah, up. Yeah, that's it. That's knowledge the puffs up, but love builds up. The, the young, the young guy you were, you were guys you were describing. That's my 26 year old daughter. Yeah. And this, yeah. this has been my path has been to like, Hey, I'm listening to you. And now the questions you're asking about eternal conscious torment, you know, years and years ago, like, yeah, I, I think you're right now. You know, I need to, I, I need to head that direction. Um, yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely onto something here about the permission thing though, because mm. yeah. you know, that that's that's something I've been trying to navigate. I mean, no one gave me permission to plant a church. I didn't go through any 
organization. I didn't go through any denomination. You know, I had a, a board and whatnot, but I just went and planted a church. So when people hear that I deconstructed while I was in, you know, pastoring, they're like, well, didn't someone tell you you can't do it anymore? I'm like, well, no, they just they just left the church. They, <laughs> they're they gone now. <laughs> so how, like, why, why are you still doing this is the question. And it's because I still believe in this gathering, this body that can be like a rock tumbler. And you get in the rock tumbler together, we rough, rub off the rough edges so we learn how to love well and follow that nudge of compassion to reveal Jesus to people in people, <laughs> to reveal Jesus in people. And so um, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, I, love, I love the heart and the spirit of what you're saying here, Paul, because you are, you are essentially, on behalf of Jesus, giving people permission to get out yeah. there and love well. If you need it, you got it. There you go. We just had this conversation where uh, Derek did. actually said, uh, uh, you don't need it, but if you need it, I give you permission. Right. Um, I think you're, you're uh, listen, to quote Athanasius, look, man, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I love that. I just, from now on, I'm going to be quoting Athanasius. Man, look, man, man was in danger of lapsing into non-being. <laughs> look, man, what's look, a good man. God going to do? <laughs> I love what you're saying as far as uh, the liberty to, uh, I, there's so much liberty in this gospel. And, and one of those liberties is, uh, and uh, to, to go out, do it like, um, you know, I think all of us are probably pioneers in some sense. So for me, you know, we've had the conversation like, you know, I, I didn't know I, I knew I couldn't ask for permission because I wouldn't get it. Mm. So I just didn't tell people I wasn't reading the Old Testament anymore. You know, <laughs> what, I, 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 back when I had to figure out how to find perfect theology and I had to reset my lens, I didn't tell anyone, <laughs> my wife, like I didn't even tell my dad early on because I was like, you weren't allowed to do that stuff. Weren't allowed to do that stuff. But there's such a liberty. Uh, I, I, I wanted to catch this. You said five years ago, the question was hell. And the question now is community. Uh, uh, that resonates because that's what we're experiencing. Yes, hell was a question. And yes, there's still a lot of folks tracking and having to navigate that. And we're, we're going to be navigating that for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Although, uh, Baxter, or excuse me, I love Brad's quote that uh, he he thinks within the next fifty to one hundred years we're going to be laughing at the fact that mm -hmm. we we wrestled with this. But the question yep. that is preeminent right now that we're experiencing as community, and I think you right. you really spoke well to it. You are at you are at liberty to do community wherever you are, whatever yes. it looks like. That's the church, and you are at liberty to do it. And I and I I, I really want to speak to that because. Uh, uh, I, that's, that's the gospel. That's, that's, um, practical theology is, is what you're talking about. That's relational theology. I remember Danny Silk talking about going on the road and preaching. He had his books blow up and he went on the road and, 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 uh, so now he's out every day. He's got all his favor and he's preaching and he's teaching. And he came to the conclusion. It really resonated with me. Uh, he came to the conclusion several years in uh, that he had lost the plot. He was really good at articulating from a stage, but he'd lost the plot. And he, he, the first adjustment he made was he from on Mondays, I will meet with people. I will go back into counseling. I will get in the mess with people. Uh, otherwise, I, it's, it's not relevant. And, and I remember really that grabbing me uh, because I thought, I thought you have to go out. You have to, you have to be in, in the lives of people. That is what the church is. That's what the gospel is. That's what this message, that's where the pavement or what is the rubber meets the road, if you will. 
I can get on with that, as you would say. Get on um, with it, Jason. I, I, I can get on with that for sure. Um, well, and, and the other, you know, the other thing too is to not, I, I love blowing up the paradigm of like going somewhere to do church because, you know, like my neighborhood, I live in these two cul-de-sacs and like we've been here 20 years. I know all my neighbors and some, at some point it dawned on us just to hang out with them and love them well not because I'm trying to get them saved, but because I really like them and I enjoy being with them and they're my best friends. And I even thought, well, like, is this like the second campus of River Church? Is this cul-de-sac? It's like, no, qu quit trying to put it into that context. Just go to music trivia night up at the, up at the golf club, <laughs> hang out with people, get to know them. I've done, I've done two weddings. Beer. Huh? And have a beer with them. Exactly. I've done two weddings now for people in my neighborhood whose kids were like eight and four when I first moved here. And they are trusting me with the most precious intimate moments of their life because they know, first of all, I'm not going to, I'm not going to condemn or judge or bring fear and that they, they want me to be the, the pastor that marries their daughter and their son. And, wow. and none of them come to church. Zero of them come to church, but we hang out together all the time. Guess what happens? Conversations ensue about truth, about reality. And there's no pressure to have them say the sinner's prayer. There's no pressure yeah. to say, well, you must do this, this, and this. It's like, no, like go home tonight and, and ask if Jesus is in there. See what happens. You know, yeah. we, we can talk about it later if you want. We don't have to if you don't want to. Yeah. You know, we, we did, um, we did a introducing the Trinitarian Faith course here in the UK recently, ITTF course. And the, the thought occurred to me, and I said it to the groups, so they were really quite new, new to that, loving it, but it was a big paradigm shift for that. And one day the thought came to us, like, you know, the world actually needs people who believe everything's going to be okay, right? Right. Like your, your neighbours need people who are going to believe. Yeah, it's hope. It's like my neighbour needs someone who believes, do you know what? I believe you're going to be okay. You can, and if you're struggling to believe, okay, I, it's all right. You can hang around with me. Like this, this faith is the person of the Holy Spirit. And you can you can get into this like we're we're all just piggybacking on Jesus's faith anyway. So you can you can get into this zone, um, and people people are actually able to have hope for them because they don't have hope for themselves. And the, this tragedy of the separation in out non gospel is it it make, it renders people incapable of doing that because we right. we got given these like bill hybels but remember at university the church i was part of they gave us this bill hybels book called becoming a contagious christian which is basically like how to manipulate people into becoming christians by pretending to be their friends yeah. you know um yeah. and i mean i i thought it was i never read past the first kind of few pages just shut i mean even back then i knew this was trash yeah but yeah. um but you know it's it's impossible to create meaningful connection um and because you've constantly got this thing in the back of your head. Well, unless I close the deal, this person's right. going to burn in hell forever. And there's somebody else I care about. I've got to, I've got to, you know, face the music for. So yeah. you can't. It forces you to be insular. It's like, well, let's just let's just keep to ourselves. Let's not think too much about those people out there. Occasionally, we might make a little bit of a salvo, give them a trap, you know, and then or, or knock on the door, or do the thing that makes us feel like okay, at least we've done our bit. Yeah. But then we we stay here in these increasingly insular and closed communities. And it, it's a it, it's a spectrum, but that way of thinking is what leads you into into cults. But it's just right, the shallow right. and very deep end, right? And yeah. all the while, that whole thing of just being able to sit with those people without being afraid for them, because you're like, well, 
perfect yeah. love casts out fear and there's perfect yeah. love here for you as well yeah. and you know we we um there's not it's not that there aren't things we need to be saved from like i need to be saved from things every day i constantly yeah, right. need jesus saving me from things it's um so yeah you know uh, i i i need that like <laughs> but but they they do too but if they don't know okay some of this stuff is just not it's not that complicated when we come back to it how can they believe if they haven't heard not heard in the sense of we're good we're trying to sell them something it's like well let, let's not put the light not let's not light a lamp and put it under a bowl so no one can see it this yeah. is we we don't we don't need to be sophisticated in deconstructionist over this it's actually quite simple a lot of a lot of the stuff that is there is really like just just get on just get on with it you know yeah we've yeah, we've had right. such a such a kind of um many of us and i think that definitely this has been my story as well have had such a hypersensitivity to the this dysfunctional destructive message it takes time it's very hard to read some of these things with a different lens you know you need, you need yeah. to take a step back in order to kind of let that that stuff sort of wear off for long enough and yeah. um and i think that uh but but what you're saying though it's it's this thing of well we but once once we're awakened to that well then actually an awful lot of these things we pick up we don't we don't just throw them out you know, laying hands on people and praying for them. I mean, ask for permission, you know, don't do it in a project, sure. but, but like, we don't need to, we don't need to throw that kind of thing out. Yeah. Um, you know, expositional Bible preaching. I mean, if that's, if that's your thing, you don't need to throw it out. Just yeah. do, it, do it with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, but similarly, if you're going to play, if you, you if you're going to play your jazz or your rock and roll, or you, you're going to get out your, your, your paints, or you're going to write a book or you're going to run your business, you're going to do that recognizing it's a sacrament it's a burning bush alive with the glory of god and you're going to do yeah. it oh i couldn't recognize the spirit in this before but now i can and yeah. others are going to recognize that too and yeah. that's going to come alive for them you know um yeah. if if the apostle paul's tent making snot rags that he's wiped his, his <laughs> face with people can steal those and go and lay them lay them on the sick then well, you really think he was using them to blow his nose? Yeah, I thought yeah, he exactly. Of course, sweat off of his brow. Right, it's not. There wasn't this nice kind of clean prayer handkerchief. <laughs> People were coming and stealing his used handkerchiefs. Like, <laughs> and, you know, that was that was the deal. So, um, but what's that a picture of? It's saying, well, but look, look at the reality of how much the Father, Son, Spirit interpenetrate every facet right. of our lives. There is no separation. So we should expect sacrament to explode everywhere. Yeah. The whole mm -hmm. of creation being a burning bush. But there's no we, divide it, between secular, sacred and secular. No, there, 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 there isn't there isn't a divide there. But right. if we don't if we don't know how to recognize that, then we miss it. It's like we don't know how to cooperate and we yeah, don't know right. how to steward it. So it's like we've got this incredible treasure passing through our hands all the time. But if we don't realize that's what it is, we just won't ever get to the table of, well, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? And how can I cooperate? We we just kind of yeah, you know, sort of go on autopilot through life, and we and we need and we need folks who know Eminem lyrics. We, we need <laughs> we we we, we got to be able to come at it. But look, man, here's the deal. <laughs> look, man, uh, to quote Athanasius again, we got to talk tacos. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> All right, I've got a good story for you. All right, I've got a good story. Now it's like it's a little bit half a step removed from tacos but uh -huh. because you know we don't have great mexican food here this is the uk <laughs> that's what i've heard <laughs> but it does involve chili peppers i mean Come i on. love tacos you know i'm good with any kind of tacos I i'll i'll have them you know in fact 
I love fish tacos even. Yeah. Shrimp tacos. I yeah. love the seafood tacos. They're fantastic. But look, I'll tell you this story. Spicy tacos are great. Right? I like spicy food. In, in Greece, we've got like our own kind of tacos called gyros, you know, but it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. But on my 25th birthday, a friend of mine threw a, par- a party for me and a couple of other friends who's got the same birthday. And we went around and he says to me, do you want to try the hottest chili pepper in the world? And I said, yeah, sure, all right. And he said, <laughs> oh, are you serious? You want to try it? And I'm like, yeah. So I've always been kind of curious, you know, yeah. how, how hot can it be? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So he gets out this gets out this chili pepper, you know, um, and he says, yeah, you know, it was all, okay. Just like, uh, the, to, in, in the interest of full transparency, they have now cultivated hotter peppers than the one I had. But at the time, it was the hottest, right? It's called the Dorset Naga uh, chili. And, that's, um, a thai, that's a Thai chili, right? Is it, is it Thai? Uh, it, it, well, they, the, it, it's, I don't know where it's from originally, but they, they grew it in the UK. Yeah, you know, yeah the, okay. They, yeah. So... Um, so I had this had this chili pepper and I, I ate it in one go. I was like, "Wow, yeah, okay, that that that's 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 pretty hot." And then suddenly he's like, "Oh no, that that is that's really bad. This is a mistake." And then I I started. It was uh, the afterburn was so hot. I started hiccuping and oh, no. gagging and like and sort of choking. I thought it was I thought it was going to throw up. Anyway, I was leaning over the sink. I just put my head under a sink, turned the tap on. I was just pouring the, you know, running the water from the tap into my mouth, couldn't swallow anything because it was all, you know, just sort of like having this convul- these convulsions. Water wasn't working, so I pulled out his, like, pi- four pint of milk and I'm just gargling the milk and sp- spitting it out, you know, in, in his sink. I'm thinking to myself, they're going to have to call an ambulance. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I have done something very, very bad and this is not good. I've burnt a hole in my stomach lining like i'm going into cardiac arrest i don't know i'm in big trouble someone's going to call an ambulance for about 10 minutes i'm holding on like so my, you know my, my my wife talks about the pain of childbirth i'm like well is that one of those chili peppers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, dude don't really, go there really don't go there ship right now by going there um but <laughs> in 10 minutes i'm just like in in another zone um you know spiritual people have been there right then um then after that, I started to subside, and I sat down, and the whole room was kind of swaying like this. You know, like the walls were melting a little bit. I'm like, okay, that was hardcore. Four days later, I was on out on a run. I could still taste chili. Four <laughs> days later, it didn't go away. Um, so it's not it's not exactly a taco story. No, but you, it is a taco ingredient story. You just That's a good one. You oh, just defined. No, that's what is great. The, what's the saying? You just said it. A religion is. Uh, Oh, Reli- religious people, this Paul Young's saying, um, religious people talk about hell, spiritual people have been there. <laughs> so you had a religious experience with <laughs> it. <laughs> I did. I had, a, I had an existential encounter with the Numen. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, I love it. I love That's it. perfect. We'll take it. And we'll take the Euro too, all day long, man. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Amazing. I'll, I'll, have it with Cocorazzi, you know, the lamb intestines. Oh, come on. Like, yeah. spit roasted up. Um, really, really, really good. But I have to say, more often than not, I'll go for the pork. It's usually the right choice, but cockroaches is good as well. All right, all right. Well, we got to come over and try that with you. Um, share a little bit about where folks can find you. Um, this, this uh, is it a class or is it a? Yeah, thanks. So, um, <clears throat> introducing the Trinitarian faith. So it's a, it's a course. Um, Baxter and I 
produced together. Um, it kind of goes back to 2020. I called him up. What are you doing? He said, can't do anything because it's COVID, can't travel. So I said, let's do a course. He sent me this lecture series, like we've recorded this thing. Um, and so I, I, I mean, my profession is in curriculum design and things in, in universities. And so, so I, I turned it into a into a course, um, oh. this e-course called Introducing the Trinitarian Faith at ITTF. So it runs multiple times a year. Um, we do it online, we've done it in person. Um, and it's basically for anyone who, anyone who's kind of got the headlines or got the, that, ex that experience of what it means to have a Trinitarian vision and union of inclusion, no separation, but maybe they're struggling with, okay, well, how do I handle this bit of the Bible? Or I've got people asking me questions I don't know how to answer, or I've got questions. This is, um, it is a, it, it's a master's level theology content, you know, course, but it's designed to be accessible for anyone. So we've had people with just high school diploma all the way up to people who've like 30 years PhD in theology do the course. And, and it's, um, it's accessible for them. It's really, it's solid content. We look at Athanasius, we look at Hilary of Poitiers, we look at Karl Barth, um, all, all taught through, you know, Baxter's uh, lecture series. And there's additional readings if you want it, or if you just want to kind of get into it and, and, and engage where you're at, that's cool as well. But it's also encounter-driven. We get people to listen to Jesus. There's inner healing involved. So it's it's not just, it's not intellectual theology, it's encounter-driven theology. Awesome. And it's really transformative. So if you want to find out about that, the, um, well, Baxter's ministry is to, to, to look at, that's perichoresis. Yeah. Um, terrible word to try and spell. Yeah. Uh, but perichoresis.org, uh, you can find out um, about ITTF there or, or ask a question. There's Facebook groups and things. Um, I wanted to say too, if people are interested in the mission stuff, we've got this work going on in Pakistan at the moment. Um, we're looking to raise some fun funds for, um, I don't know when the podcast is going out, but we've got um, food Christmas food distribution to people in real poverty there. We're trying to set up a salon to train women in a, in a trade so that they can get out of being domestic servants and they can actually, you know, bring some economic regeneration to their community. And we're, we're distributing Baxter's books, people getting baptized, um, and there's a real excitement. Something amazing is going on in Pakistan, and we're sort of supporting that on a mission front. So if people are interested, please do. My ministry is championsofhope.org. Oh, Pakistan. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, connect with me on Facebook or through Perichoresis too. Um, Baxter, David Pack, and I are really kind of working together on, okay. on, on that one. Okay. So um, Perichoresis is kind of handling the, the sort of funneling the um, is the mechanism for the funds that people want to donate. They okay. can mark it as a donation for Pakistan to Perichoresis that can go there. Um, so yeah, my website is championsofhope.org. Um, and my Patreon, if anyone wants to, wants to support is called Bre the breaking of the world. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a hashtag remaking the world. So if you, and it's my name, so you, you should, should be able to find that or hit me up on Facebook. Um, if you're interested, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm trying to, trying to take my own advice. And I just feel like this thing of the, um, this imperative to reach people and make space for them and reach more people yeah. in, and with the conversation, with the, with the gospel message, um, with a better, with a better, healthier, more whole message. I, I feel such an urgency on that for so many reasons. And so, you know, coming into 2024, I'm just feeling like, you know, I have to, I have to take the plunge more and put more of my time towards the, 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 the ministry. So if people want to track with content that I'm creating and, it helps me out and i know you guys it's a faith initiative for you guys too um yeah. doing this yeah. and really we we need people to send us 
So I need people to send me. You guys right. need people to send you. And yeah. and we do that financially. But but it's a partnership. It's not a charity. It's like we we actually need help to be able to do more of this kind of stuff. So if anyone yeah. wants to connect with me and wants to help me do that, the Patreon's a great way to do it. Um, so so please do check that out. And um, I've got more books in the pipeline. Stuff's going to come out in 2024, but it's right. not ready now, so I won't talk about it now. Well, but we'll thank you for letting me promo. <laughs> yeah, right on. Of course, we'll Paul. Get you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll get you back for the books. But Yeah, yeah for real. Yeah. Go ahead, Derek. You got no, I was just going to say thank you. I mean, Paul, yeah. it's been... It's been delightful, and I look forward to even just future connections and relationships, and how God wants to orchestrate this. I, I, I sense a, I sense an Emmaus Road passion burning within my heart, just because of this conversation with you. Yeah, Come and that's on. always a good. That's always a good sign. Yeah, amen. amen. I agree, bro. So good to connect, and we're gonna do this again. Thank Maybe you guys. face to face over tacos. I'm not interested in the hot pepper, but, but no, no, uh, I, I, that's. That's that's like that's a young man. religious me doing that. Yeah, I, that's I a young man's that game. That's that's... <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. Uh, this has been good. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Hey, guys. So glad you joined us on Rethinking God with Tacos. You can find me, Jason Clark, online at afamilystory.org, where I encourage you to sign up on our mailing list. We send out an email twice a month letting you know about new podcasts, articles, and new books or products that we have coming out. Plus, occasionally, I'll keep you up on my schedule where I'm traveling. My Twitter handle is at JasonClarkIs. I'm on Instagram under the same handle, and you can find me on Facebook as well. Yeah, and my name is Derek Turner. Jason and I love that you're listening to us. Thank you for all your feedback. Please write in, let us know what's going on in your life. But uh, we are pursuing a mission to help people rethink God. And we thank you for being a part of it. Uh, You can find me at Pastor Derek T on all the socials. And then, of course, I pastor a church here in Charlotte, North Carolina called River Church, rivercharlotte.com. Come and join us. We'd love to have you. Hey, all of these podcasts are available on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google. Yeah. Hey, make sure and like, share, and throw a review out there. Let people know. We love good reviews on the podcast. It helps people find us. That's right. So if this is a podcast that you enjoy, (laughs) then please promote it, share it, give it a good five-star rating. I like that. That's a good idea. Hey, love doing this journey with you. Praying grace and wonder over you today. 